And once again, we caution you. These stories are definitely not for the timid soul. So we tell you calmly and very sincerely, if you frighten easily, turn off your radio now. I just want to apologize to Mike's mom and Josh's mom and my mom. I am so, so sorry. Because it is my fault. Because it was my project. missing Montgomery College students continues in Frederick County tonight. Ten days and thousands of man hours have been unable to produce any clues. We have a few leads, um, a few other options who we want to take advantage of and just try to put together some, uh, some pieces to this puzzle. Do you believe the occult may be involved in the disappearance of your son? I'm so scared. Material Podcast. I'm Tom Carnell. And I'm Langley West. Episode 157. Bam. Uh, we are joined. I every week. I feel like I know. A, I we, we, all, we, we both do. <laughs> um, I can't imagine that like, Rogan is in the 1,058 episodes. 1,058. And he's not like, holy shit. He's like, 1,000. Well, they made a big deal about 1,000. Anyway, uh, today we are joined by a writer, producer, filmmaker, a guy named Jason Hawkins. Did a re, most recently did a film called The Blair Witch Legacy, which is a uh, sort of a spin-off, sort of a, another tale told within that within universe. that universe. Is that sure. fair to say? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I just watched it last night. Yeah. So uh, please welcome Jason Hawkins. Hey, Jason. Hey, how's it going? <laughs> it's going good. I don't know if you remember. We've met once before. Um, are you the guy with the knives? <laughs> yeah. I am the guy with the knives, yeah. Yeah, right. yeah he, he was at the panel. I, uh, he was there. Oh, you were there? Okay. Yeah. I, I, don't, I, I remember having breakfast with you the next morning. That's what I remember. Yeah, oh, I, was, uh, I was at a demonstration where you stabbed yourself to make the point that in a knife fight you will get cut. Yeah, that's, this is true. I told Crypticon, don't expect that every year. <laughs> <laughs> but um, you're, you're in the Pacific Northwest, correct? Correct. Currently located in Portland. Okay. Nice. The bustling filmmaking scene in Portland, which there is. Well, there is. Portland, there's a lot of shit going on in Portland, not only filmmaking-wise, but just, I don't know, cultural. Right. Yeah, Portland, Portland's a strange place right now. You know, the um, the film community here is going through kind of a tough evolutionary period. We've got some big projects here with uh, Dean Devlin, you know, doing the librarians oh, and... Right. Uh, yeah, and Grimm just wrapped, uh, what, a year ago? Wrapped uh, up shooting here and stuff. So it's this kind of weird period where you have all the locals, you know, doing local things, and then you have some big productions mixing in. That's got to be a weird thing when you were, like, you know, making films out of your garage or, or, or making effects out of your garage, whatever it might be, and then a big show comes to town, mm-hmm. and you get hired. 
and you work on it for you know two three years, mm-hmm. and then it goes away. Yeah, you know. And well, ideally, you're, you're going to use it as a linchpin to another gig, right? Right. Well, and that's how I, what I found is like people hire people. Number one on their ability, but number two on their affability. Right. Totally. Sense? Totally. Yeah, yeah. You know, it, it it's true what they say. It really is about nepotism and who you know. Uh-huh. Um, yeah. It comes back that a lot of the people who worked on Grimm well, Im- immediately switched over to you know librarians. Mm-hmm. Um, same sort of thing. Same background actors. Um, that sort of thing just picked up the next show that was shooting up here. Right. Well, I I remember interviewing a an effects team which will go nameless. But they said that they'd ra- I, if 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 I have two candidates and they each are at a level of let's say eight out of ten, mm-hmm. um, uh, but let's say one is at eight and one is at six, but the one at eight is kind of difficult to deal with and a bit of an asshole. Sure. I'm gonna go with the six. Yeah, yeah. That six Every, can be nurtured into an eight, and you don't have to deal with the, the drama. All the drama. So I remember a lot of folks talking about you know they're they're you know. There were stars, mm-hmm. right? Stars in the effects community, and they would they would come to the studio, and they were prima donnas, you know. And then, but then there were these guys that were working, you know, the grunts that were, yeah. you know, working. And uh, while they may not have the cachet that that you know this star, you know, has this rock star has, um, they were the guys, you know, when that show was over, the rock star was gone. Yeah, 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 and then but these guys stayed, and yeah. they kept working. It's like it's like in any job. Why would you want to work with an asshole? Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Especially in the arts, ego is your enemy. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 And unfortunately, check your ego at the door, sir. Yeah, but I think also it requires a certain ego. That's the that's the conundrum of it all. Well, it requires a certain ego to stand in front of people and do something and go, "Look what I did." That's the that's the artist. Yeah, but then to then to then in order to do your chosen art to to bring that it's it's, it's like you like need it but you don't need it. It's almost like you, you there's there's uh, there's like a self ego narcissism mm-hmm. and then there's like a, another kind that deals with other people. Yeah, right. right. And and as, as a director working with actors, I regularly tell people you know be confident but don't be a dick. Yeah. And you've got to learn the difference between, you know, you have to be a dog that can wag his own tail. Mm-hmm. Because in this industry, if you're not out there on social media, if you're not out there in the public saying, hey, look at me, look at me, then you're not getting any attention. Right. So you have to balance that standing on your platform and shouting, look at me, without being an egomaniacal douchebag. Right. Well, that was the, the, the problem. Before, there, was, there were gatekeepers. That would be that would decide. Yes, we're going to put your movie out. Yes, we're going to put your book out. Yes, we're going to use this piece of art. Right now, with the, what I call the democratization of the technology, like everyone can be like, I can self-publish. I, I can put out my own books. I can put out my own art. Right. I, I remember. I remember at one time when uh, 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 self-publishing was a dirty word. Yeah, it was, it was like. It was, but the, the point is, is that it creates such a noise in the room that it's harder to get your message out. Sure. Because the rest of them aren't professional. I'm professional. <laughs> right, right, right. There's, well, the, yeah, exactly. It's like, uh, you know, it's great. You can do whatever the fuck you want, but yeah. so can everybody else. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right, and that's actually a great conversation. I've been meeting with and talking with 
distributors and filmmakers from around the world. You know, and a lot of these guys are people who, uh, talking about traditional distribution, what, the distributor I've worked with, he said, man, you're in the top 1%. I go, why is that? He goes, you actually got you know a little money back on your movie. Yeah, right. There's something like 500,000 feature films now being made every year. Mm-hmm. And that's that's something that I hope that we get to talk about today is, is um, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, but it, 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 and I don't mean this in, in, a, uh, in a bad way at all, but you are considered what would be a micro-budget feature filmmaker. Is that correct? Oh, totally. Okay. Totally. And that's a rarefied animal. And mm-hmm. Well, we've talked about this on the, on the show before in that it seems like, much like society, middle class is kind of going away. Mm-hmm. Um, filmmaking, you're yeah. either this, you know, hundreds and hundreds of millions of dollars production, or you're a little tiny movie. And it seems that like like the movies that were being made for, uh, you know, uh, I don't know. The, let's say, for example, the the twenty million dollar movie. Mm-hmm. But that's not a thing anymore. That nobody does that. And and and, and even the the small budgets are are growing, right? You see, uh, it used to be that anything what? under a million was considered you know low budget, and now it's a million or two or three that right. people go. You, you well, look at about, art house films, and they go they go look at the the micro budget. It's like no, that's still a ten million dollar film. Right. But what a lot of people think are indie, you know, they talk about Sundance being an independent film festival, and well, I saw some great indie films at uh, Sundance, and you ask who was in them, and they're all A-list actors. Mm-hmm. They're telling me that's an independent film. What they mean is it's not a studio-produced film. Mm-hmm. Right. Well, but a lo- you know, in the 90s, you know, with, with the advent, you know, the, the, the all the attention being paid to, you know, quote-unquote, the indie filmmaker... And and poster boys would be like Robert Rodriguez mm-hmm. and Quentin Tarantino, but really, those dudes were making movies for these uh, uh, subsidiaries of these big ass studios. Yeah. It was the, like the Kevin Smith, Kevin Smith film, where they're still you know whatever New Line or whatever the fuck it was, right? So you know, but that there's a difference between that and the aforementioned. Um, we were talking about American movie at some point right. earlier. Uh, uh, that kind of filmmaker, that's a guy who's really you know, it's the old Robert Townsend thing about financing your film off your credit cards. Right. And if this doesn't work, we're really screwed. Yeah. Kind of a thing. Right. Yeah, and that's and that's the big um, discrepancy right now is people don't understand the evolution of the business and how you can survive as an independent filmmaker. Uh, a great story I like to tell, the production friend of mine saw some trucks and some actors, some lights at a house down the street. So he walked down and said, what are you guys doing? Homeowners come out and they go, oh, we're making a movie. He goes, oh, yeah, what uh, you know, what are you working on? Oh, well, we're making this uh, cute, slow-moving emotional drama that nobody will ever see. Mm-hmm. And uh, he goes, oh, what's your budget? Well, we mortgaged our house. Oh. And we and we both took out maximum loans, oh. um, you know, with our banks and everything. So the person tells him, "I don't know. I think we're about four or five hundred thousand in debt right now oh. on this film." And he goes, "Wow. Um, so who's in it? Oh, just some local people we hired." He goes, "Ah. Um, so what's your plan?" And the guy looks at him totally dead faced and goes, "Oh, we're gonna take it to Hollywood and sell it for four or five million. 
Wow. Okay. See, that's okay. And there's a lot going on time. Right. Well, oh, well okay. Yeah. So yeah. That, that's there's so much in that story that's just like, what the fuck? Yeah. Well, and, and while that's true, so many people I've met have that mindset. Yeah. Yes. Uh, there was a guy I was working for here for a while, and he was convinced. It, it never occurred to him that Apple might say no. Yeah. But he was, yeah, he was going. He was making this social justice series, and and Apple was going to buy it. And, and, right. And we it, were. It and sounds great. Me and this other guy were like, <laughs> "Well, where is this money going to come from?" He's like, "Well, when Apple buys it, I'm like, Ugh. dude, I understand. I understand well, the idea of like conviction. That's yeah. that's one thing. Uh, that's good. Right. Right. But there's also delusion." <laughs> I'm, I'm going to be yeah. nice and call it naivete. Sure. Well, you know, and here's the thing: the Hollywood delusion. sells the, you know, Hollywood sells the dream, right? Sure. Hollywood doesn't sell the work; Hollywood sells the dream. And the dream is you're going to make your independent film for twenty thousand dollars, and you're going to be the next Blair Witch. Mm-hmm. Right. But you know, because somebody did it before. Right, and so they hold that up as a standard. But it's really kind of a false uh, tentpole standard, you know, just because, hell, people win the Powerball when it's a billion dollars. That doesn't mean you're going to. Right. Well, essentially, films like Blair Witch, um, they're kind of lightning in a bottle. Right. Yeah, exactly. You're just not going to There's a huge amount of luck that happens with, with, with something like that. Sure. The smart money is when you take the model, the, let's call it at the, for this instance the Blair Witch model. You take it and you mutate it just enough, and then now you've got the paranormal activity model, right? Where you're, you're, it's still independent, it's still being pushed by word of mouth, but you're not doing the same thing. I'm gonna I'm gonna go on the other side of the fence here for a second, Uh-oh. and and say, you know what though, the, that family that's gonna be four thousand four hundred thousand dollars in the hole. At the end of the day, even if their movie never, if nobody buys it, if no distributor touches it, whatever, they still made a movie. And if that's what their, if that's what their dream is, yeah, well, you can't shit on someone's dream. However, you, they have a movie, but they also have. $400,000 well, dead. Yeah. No, th- and they're probably going to lose their home. Yeah, they might work, they, that, work they, that off for the rest of their lives. Right. Yeah, it's just uh, not... I mean, that's... My college is the same damn thing. <laughs> right? Uh, right? Yeah, you're right. Yeah. You're right. So you're right. I, I'm... You're gonna, taking the chance. I know I'm going to be paying that off the rest of my life. So, you know, hmm. I, I do I regret doing it? No. I may regret where I went, mm-hmm. you know... Well, it's hard when this gets a little savage, but it's hard when at some point in the time some people do that kind of thing and they're just it's just not what they're cut out to do. Sure. And, that, people, and that's the hard part yeah. is someone that you, you see sunk in that deep right. and you go what you said the first word you had said, Jason, was like it was this 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 emotional drama that no one's going to see. It's like, yeah, yeah, unfortunately, there's a reason no one will, will... There's a reason the money people or whoever won't back this idea is because it's not really marketable. Right. And you you, you mortgaging your house 
is it's th- literally throwing good I, money at I think that I think that that's dumb. Yeah, you know, in mortgaging your house. I don't think I don't think that it's dumb to to chase your. I, I agree. I, I think you know what, especially if it's a a uh, emotional drama. There's probably no reason for it to cost four hundred thousand dollars. You know what I right. mean? Like they could, that, yeah. Go ahead, know, Jason. Well, we get into the. It's great to have a dream, but also have a plan. Yeah. Yeah. You know, if they had said, "Hey, I want to make this movie," you know, we couldn't get traditional backing. It's really important to us to make this movie. Then you sit down and you come up with a business plan and say, "Okay, I need to disengage the artist brain." Mm-hmm and engage the business brain and say, I have this film that I believe in. It is my dream. I want to make it. Fantastic. I'm, t- you know, I'm totally on board with that. I back that idea. But now what the fuck are you going to do to get it out to people? Right. You have to have a plan. Right. Like, I probably spend 80 to 90% of my time working on the business of film and 10% making movies. Right. Yes, because you have to. Right. Yeah. Terrible at that side. <laughs> what was it? What was it that uh, Orson Welles said? It's like you know, two percent of what you're doing is filmmaking, and ninety eight percent is is I, I don't remember, remember. But yeah. But, the, the other thing yeah. reminded me. And is, then he said, "That's no way to live a life." <laughs> <laughs> well, I had someone tell me once, "What part of show business didn't you right get hustling?" You know? That's what he, that's what he said. Ninety eight percent was hustling. Yeah. You know, it's, it's passion and art that uh, that keep you going, keep you motivated, but it's business that allows you to do it more than once. Mm-hmm. You've, yeah. you've done, what, what by my count, seven films? Seven features? Uh, and a shit ton of shorts? Yeah, I want to say I've done like 23, 24 films, including short films, mm. and uh, six or seven features sounds right. One, two, three, four, five, six. I have seven. IMDb lists you with 20 director credits. Okay. Just <laughs> like, sure. 20, 23 producer credits and nine acting. Yeah. How did you, um, how did you get into uh, filmmaking? So my, my background is in fiction and game design, um, and that's always where my passion was, was in writing. And uh, you know, I did the have kids while you're in college surprise, um, and I really put writing on the back burner while I worked a nine to five and raised kids. And so I'm coming at this a little bit later in life than a lot of people. And I was driving back from California from a visit down there to see family, and me and a buddy of mine are in the car, and I go, "I'm going to make a movie." And he kind of looks over me and he goes, "Have you ever made a movie?" No, how fucking hard can it be? Well, <laughs> turns out, <laughs> turns out it's not easy. Um, very first project I worked on, which is not on my IMDb, thank God. I spent about twenty grand out of pocket. Um, spent probably six weeks filming, and it's a train wreck. You know, I, I didn't know what I didn't know. But of that train wreck, there were moments in there that were very good. There were moments in there that we went, yes. This is why we're doing it. Now, granted, that's about 10% of what we shot, but um, those moments inspired me to go, okay, obviously I don't know what I'm doing. I need to train as much as humanly possible with other people, learn as much as I can, and get into it. So then we made some short films to kind of practice, 
And when I felt a little more comfortable, we dove in and made our, our first real feature. That was 15? No, that was actually... So 15 came out first, but that was actually my second film. My first film, um, All-American Bully, was originally titled The Innocent, and it stars Adrian King from Friday the 13th fame. And uh, I had met her at a convention and approached her, and you know, in my naivety said, hey, would you come do a film with us? And I'm sure they get that a million times at the conventions. And she went, oh, ha, ha, yeah, um, ha, ha, um, uh, and it looked like she was looking for security, right? <laughs> Let's get this guy out of here. But she took the script. Um, she called me one day while we were filming because, you know, I hadn't heard from her, so we pushed ahead. She called me. We're filming. She goes, oh, my God, Jason, I love it. I'll do it. You know, I just want to make this come true. So she joined on board, and the rest is kind of history. We shot that film. It went out, won some awards, did reasonably well in the festival circuit. And while it was doing that, we shot 15. Okay. Um, and then 15 came out first. All-American Bully spent um, about a year on the festival circuit. It got picked up by a distributor who didn't know what to do with it. And it sat on the shelf at the distributor's office, unreleased, for probably 16, 17 months. Hmm. Uh, eventually, we got into a big fight, and I demanded they release it. Um, they essentially said we're never going to and it turned into a fuck you, no fuck you kind of argument and then they released it hmm. so I started shopping it we uh, landed with a distributor that I had a decent relationship with he sold it to Redbox so that was a, a nice you know, kind of a nice explosion for us to get that film out sure. it put on, showed on Redbox it made the nationwide top 20 like 3 or 4 weeks in a row so it was just super cool. It was out about the same time as Amazing Spider-Man. So, you know, to see our film that we shot for $3,000 um, on the same list as Amazing Spider-Man is pretty awesome. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah. Um, I'm curious, give me a neighborhood that we're operating here, a financial neighborhood for the films that we're talking about. You said $3,000 for... for um, which is four thousand less than Robert Rodriguez shot El Mariachi for. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So give, we show, me, give me this general idea of where what we're talking about. Um, between five and fifteen thousand okay. per film is pretty average. So, wow. So how? Um, wow. I mean, because yeah, yeah, yeah. Blair Witch Legacy looks like it, it, it costs a lot more. Yeah, and we, um, you know, one of the advantages we have here working in the Northwest is you can get a lot of locations cheap. Yeah. Um, you know, we have scenery here in the Northwest that's you million like dollars. Green? <laughs> well, you, know, think, you, you can drive a couple hours any direction. You can be at the yeah. beach, you can be in the forest, you can be in the desert. Sure. So we, we have million dollar scenery up here in the Northwest and being able to take advantage of that. But um, also owning all of our own gear, owning all of our equipment, we don't have all costs, we don't have things like that. You know, we made the initial investment, and so we're able to keep costs down. Um, all the actors, all the principal actors, and a lot of the background actors on Blair Witch Legacy did get paid. It wasn't much, but they did get paid. Sure. Hey, Romero paid people a dollar and a t-shirt. So. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. Yeah, yeah. I'm good with that. You know, and we tried to pay all the principals and the various actors at least minimum wage. Nice. Sure. So, that's, yeah. that's so much better than usually happens on stuff like Well, this. yeah, because so often you'll go on a shoot up here and it's like, 
It'll be good for your reel. Hey, there's no, sure. you know, there's yeah. no real money, but you know, we're gonna have a good time. Yeah. And, yeah. Uh, and my you mom know, makes great, you know, casserole. <laughs> and, and I've done both. I've um, I've worked on union projects. I've done a couple of union films where people are getting paid, you know, usually union minimum, but uh, paying people that. I've also done the film where, hey, I'm doing a film. You want to come out and help out, and we'll barter something. Right. You know, that's that's well, yeah. Or I'll work on your project. You work on mine. Sure. Yeah, yeah. I'm I'm good with that. Sure. Yeah. And people ask ask about that, and the question to me is always, do you feel like you're getting value for the work you're doing? Do you feel like the scene you're going to get for your reel is a deal breaker in business? If so, do the film. Mm -hmm. You know, are you getting value out of it? Are you going to get the connections? Are you going to? Uh, meet people? Are you going to get footage? Are you getting value that is worth your time? Mm-hmm. If it is, then do it. If it's not, then don't. Yeah, I agree with that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's yeah, like yeah. any deal. You know, you, you, here's what I can do for you. Is that okay? Yes. Then that's what we're going to agree to. Right. And don't, neither one of us will try to change this deal down right. the road. Exactly. That's you the. Know. Yes, they will. <laughs> I will, but you know, I just watched some guy, some guy give us talk to a bunch of web designers. It's called "Fuck You Pay Me," and he talks right. a lot about about the art of the deal and about the contract and how important it is and how important it is to say what you need want right up front. Well, that's why, yeah, that's and knowing, I'm sorry, but knowing when that contract ends and when another begins, right? When the project has changed to such a point that now we're talking about something, we need else. to renegotiate, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Right, right. It's on YouTube. Find it. And that's and that's that's incredibly important when you're dealing with this level of filmmaking as far as budgets go. Mm-hmm. Is that we are all completely clear and aware of it has to be what one what your involvement is, mm-hmm. two what you're getting compensated, right, and what the expectations are. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, I, I have that lecture pretty much every single film, and people who've worked with me just kind of roll their eyes because they've heard it. I tell people, like, let's be crystal clear. Going into this, here's who we are, here's what we're doing, mm-hmm. here are the expectations, here's the pay or the barter or whatever we've agreed to, here's a contract. Mm-hmm. If you sign that contract, I expect you to hold up your end. Yeah, right. Yeah. If you're not okay with these terms... Don't sign it. I'm okay. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Because, yeah we're not gonna we're not gonna dislike you if you you know, and and, and we're not gonna everyone has a bottom ask line. Ask you again, and I don't expect oh. anyone to work beneath their bottom line. Yeah, exactly. Right. And if my yeah. bottom line and your bottom line don't agree, then I get it. Yeah. You yeah. Know. yeah, I usually tell people, and I make a I make a real point of trying to be crystal clear and saying, this is the budget, this is how much it pays. If you're cool with that, I'd love to have you on board. If you're not cool with it, that's also okay. Maybe we can connect some other time. That's that's like the worst thing. And it took me a while. It took me a while to get this. Is don't say yes to everything if you can't right. follow up on that yes. Yeah. You know. Right. Well, inherently with things creative, it's like the thing with actors. Can you ride a horse? Hell yeah, I can ride a horse. So I spent the weekend learning how to ride a horse. Right, exactly. Yeah, yeah. I, yeah. That I want the gig. I want the job. I want to be able to be creative and get some sort of compensation yeah. about it. But on the other hand, the I difference don't the difference is the guy who goes out on the weekend and learns how to ride the horse, mm-hmm. at least enough for the movie, and the guy who says, yeah, I can ride a horse, yeah. 
and doesn't do and tries to fake it. Yeah, absolutely. Well, we had a guy come into the audition, and on his audition notes said he was fluent in Southern Swahili. <laughs> and I, yeah, and I look at him and I go, I got to be honest with you. During a live audition, I go, I kind of want to hear some Southern Swahili. And he goes, What? <laughs> First of all, the joke isn't funny. So he goes, uh, it, it says that, does it? Uh, oh, yeah, it's on your resume, buddy. He's like, Yeah, I. Uh, that must be a typo. Time to time to fire your publicist there, buddy. <laughs> I love that. It's a typo, but it's a complete sentence. It says, I am fluent in Southern Swahili. I'm not really sure that's a typo. Yeah. At I the very least. Now i got to find out, is there such a thing as Northern Swahili <laughs> and Southern At Swahili? At the very least, you've proven with this that you're not funny. So, yeah. <laughs> See ya. <laughs> I was just like, I just I, like he should have just made something up on the spot. I wouldn't have done. Right, start making. Well, never mind. I was going to say, See, making, that's okay. <laughs> that's a good example. Sounds. That's a good example. Had that dude like started rambling off some shit that sounded cool, you would have never been the wiser. At least you know. Right. That's a guy. It, it, well, it, well, that's a guy who like was like, okay, if this guy's in it. He's in. Yeah. You know he. Yeah. He's, yeah, and, and and even if he doesn't know Southern Swahili, you know that he is in it for the game. He's like, I, I'm fucking here, dude. And I, I'll do whatever you need me to do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, you know, he could have been like, well, I haven't done it in a year or so, but uh, here it goes. Uh-huh. I'd, have, I'd have been just as impressed. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, because the chances of you knowing, you know, that's the other that you know, that's why you put Southern Swahili on there is because who the fuck knows that, (laughs) right? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, suddenly you'd meet someone that does. On my on my work applications, it always asks if you can speak another language, and I go yes, Tagalog, and no one knows what the fuck that is, you know. Right. Right. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's always a problem. Yeah, Um, and it's a useless skill because everybody there speaks English. So. Right? right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, um, the other thing about that I noticed after, since I, like I said, I watched uh, Legacy last night. Um, huh? There's a lot, there's you're, there's no sets. You're like out in the forest for a good portion of the, uh, of the production. Are you out in the forest or are you out in the forest at the edge of the road? <laughs> <laughs> So it's it's a little bit of a mix. When we auditioned people, um, we didn't tell them what they were auditioning for. We um, told people, hey, we're doing this film called The March Project. Okay. You know, and so people auditioned. They had no idea what they were auditioning for. Um, and then when we made our, our decisions, we said, look, realistically, this is going to be hard because I'm going to expect, you know, 10 to 15 miles of hiking out of you and several nights out of cell range. And uh, some people were down with it. Some people were like, no fucking way. I'm not doing that. You know, and so a few of the scenes were filmed uh, fairly close to the road, like you're saying, maybe within 100 yards, mm-hmm. uh, primarily the group scenes. But then when they are in the deep woods, they are in the deep woods. I went out and scouted it with my girlfriend, and we spent a couple of days hiking 10, 15 miles um, through this rugged train. They're off trail. There's no... There's no paths. They literally are out in the woods. Sure. And, um, you know, we had a base camp sort of thing. And, like, when they were on the creek, I said, okay, see this creek? 
But yeah, I go, give me three or four hours up upstream wandering. And here's a camera, see ya. Hmm. You know, and they had no idea what they were uh, getting into. It's It wasn't scripted, but it was outlined. Sure. Oh, nice. Yeah, yeah. That's you a know, great so, loose way to work. Yeah. Right. Like they knew, okay, these are the high points. These are the things we have to hit. These are moments we have to get to. But we auditioned the actors a lot of improv, and I said, look, I hired you because I trust you as an actor yeah. to carry the scene. Yeah, Here's yeah, yeah. what you have to get. How you get there is up to you. And that gets rid of that that whole, geez, Phyllis, what are we doing? You know, that right. reading yeah, 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 of yeah, a yeah. line. Oh, oh, yeah, yeah. Bad dialogue is the worst. Yeah, 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 yeah. That, yeah, that takes me out of it. Just taking it right off the table. Yeah. I was like, hey. Oh, go ahead. Yeah, I was just going to say, I want to back up for a minute and, and ask you, um, as a kid, did you know you wanted to do this, or was this something that happened later on when you realized it's possible to do this? So this ties into um, a couple of things, and so there's a couple of answers for that, if, if you'll indulge me for a second here. Um, I, I just wound up shooting a major studio thing down in Los Angeles. And it is a true story of events that happened to me as a young person. And I think I can say this much. Um, I moved into a house that I believed was haunted when I was a child. And um, it turns out to be much, much, much worse. Hmm. And so my entire life has always kind of had this, this connection to horror and horrific things. And, uh, I mean, I, I worked as a body collector when I was in college, picking up corpses off the side of the road. Um, that, that's fun. Yeah. You know, you, you, <laughs> that's a good gig. Yeah, you, you pull them out of auto accidents, you uh, fish them out of rivers, uh, go to people's houses and cut down suicides, things like that. And, yeah, so um, were, were you, in, I'm sorry, was it, was it a, a removal service or were you involved with the ME? No, it was a removal service. Okay. So, uh, yeah, just to pick up service, basically. And I you know, was like, oh, God, that's horrific, horrific. It's like, yeah, and it pays 10 bucks a body. <laughs> you know, you were always like, wait, what, 10 bucks a body? It's like, yeah, it's piece work, man. Uh, no body, no pay. So I've always kind of had this connection to things pretty dark and macabre. And I had been writing uh, fiction, primarily horror fiction, since I was a very young child. I was actually thrown out of school and um, uh, sent to a psychiatrist for writing horror fiction in elementary school. Sure. And the very same horror fiction won me a Young Authors Award the same year. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And I'm like, I, I don't know what the fuck's going on now. I'm thrown out of school, but I'm winning an award. So, uh, you know. So, yes, I, I guess being involved in the horror genre was always going to be in my destiny somewhere along the way. And like I said, my real passion is writing, and filmmaking is just kind of an extension of that. It gives me a way to put the things I see and feel on the written page into a medium that everybody else can experience. But there's such a difference there, right? There's there's the isolate inherent isolation and I am God part of writing, and then there's the collaborative side of filmmaking. Like right. I look at filmmakers or any anyone that does anything collaborative, and I think oh, I could do that. <laughs> <laughs> I'll tell you. That, I like uh, being God. I like, you know. Well, that that's why you have to direct. You know, at the end of the day, the director is boss. Sure. 
And um, I, I met a friend of mine, a gal that I'd known on Facebook for a while, uh, another another film producer. And we decided to grab coffee and talk shop. And she's like, I was really intimidated to have coffee with you. I kind of laughed. I'm like, why? Like, you have a reputation as somebody who just doesn't put up with bullshit. I said, yeah, that's the writer in me. <laughs> the writer in me says, no, this is the way it's going to be, and that's how I want it done. Um, and then the director in me says, please. <laughs> that's how I want it done. Please. That's hard for me, because for me, it's like I try not to think about reputation, and because at the end of the day, I think remove that reputation or that personality out of the equation and what you have left is the work. So what does the work look like? Right. Because I, I, I work alone. So most people that you know work in, in groups, they have to be more concerned about interpersonal relationships. Sure. I mean, not yeah. being a dick. Well, I mean, because you can sabotage your own film by, by sure. not being yes. able to, to nurture... If you're the director, not being able to nurture the people under you. I, I just heard Lexi Alexander say about Punisher War Zone. She goes, if someone comes to, to me with a good idea, I'd be stupid not to listen. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Really like yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, uh, uh, yeah. and it, it's a fine balance. You know, half the time you're, you're dealing with people who have their own vision of how it should be done, and yet trying to enforce your vision to make sure the story goes the way you wanted it to. And it's a, it's a whole different skill set. For sure. Yeah, at the end of the day, this may be a dog and pony show, but it's my dog and pony show, because as well, a director, I'm, I'm in charge, right? It's, I'm, I'm, I'm you, you know, I mean, for me, the, the, the thing that has worked the best is recognizing that everybody is there, at least initially. Everybody is there to help get this thing going. Agreed. Um, yeah. And as long as you are able to keep that, you know, when th when the inevitable, you know, problems come up, as long as you're able to drive it back to that, mm -hmm. then at least you're going to get, you're going to get what you were shooting for, or at least somewhere in the neighborhood of what you were shooting for. Right. And, uh, and I think that that's important. So, I, I, you know, I've been on sets where directors have been like, you know, fuck you, yeah. and it's like no, no one wants to work for that guy. Yeah. No one. Right. Yeah, that's that's not going to work. Right. So what happens? They end up losing a whole department, not just one guy. Yeah. They lose right. a whole department. Oh, because <laughs> crew know that you know they're before the grace of God go I. That exactly. Could easily yeah, be yeah. me in the hot. Yeah. Well, somebody somebody gave me the advice one time, and they said you need to remember that every single person on set, every single one of them, thinks they're the most important person on set. Sure. They're the hero of their own story. Sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It, it is exactly that. They're the hero of their own story. So even that extra who's just trying to get his face on camera thinks, well, if they don't have extras on the set, then it's going to look like you know an empty an empty street, and it, right. I'm, real, I'm the most important person here. Yeah. And if you can recognize that and try try your best to treat people with the respect they deserve until they prove otherwise. Um, you know, it tries to get things going. I, I do my best to deal with people on that front, right. I said, unless they've proven otherwise. You know, at the end of the day, when a decision has to be made, it's your call. Right, exactly. <laughs> Basically, everybody has their own bubble, right? Sure. So the extra on set has a certain expectation of what's happening with with them, right? Mm -hmm. As long as you make them feel like 
that's happening, right. you're going to get the best work out of that. Right. You know, right. and, 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 and I agree. The, yeah, and you know, so they, you know, I mean, unless they're delusional, they know they're not the star of the picture. Right. But but if you if you take that if you take that that, that you know two minutes mm-hmm. to go over and talk to them and just say hey man you know that it's like here's here's what you're doing and I saw Rollins do that like yeah. in, a, in a scene he went up to every everyone just standing that was in the shot but standing around and he yeah, was yeah. like he had he gave them their moment and it took about three or four minutes yeah. And uh, but he gave everyone their moment, and and it just went better. Yeah, absolutely. Right. It, because even if even if that doesn't show up on camera, at, at least before you started the cameras rolling, they got some personal attention. Right. And, you know what's amazing that way? Two people I've seen in my life: uh, Barker and Neil Gaiman. Yeah. They have this ability to make you feel like like you're like you're the most important person in the world at that moment. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. Right. Yeah, and that and that's a true skill. You know, yeah. there there are a lot of different directing styles and different approaches, and I just believe you should treat everybody with respect unless they've proven they don't deserve it. Well, right. I told I told Barker, I go, if that's real, I'm totally impressed, and if it's not real, I'm even more impressed. more impressed. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. <laughs> right? Because that was amazing. <laughs> I watched him. Um, he was doing a book signing right around the time Nightbreed came out. Yeah, he was there for two hours. He must have met three hundred, four hundred people, and every single person walked away. Like feel like they had a personal connection. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, yeah. 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 No, that's really critical. I agree. Absolutely. So, um, what? After, so you've made these these things, and I'm just wondering how we get. They're all horror related. Um, primarily. Primarily. So, uh, how do we get? Given that we're operating on such a small budget, how do we get like the rights to a Blair Witch to operate in the Blair Witch universe? Was it a rights thing or was it a fan thing? So, you know, I, I'm a big believer in you never take a step in any direction without a reason. Right. Nothing without a purpose. There are no coincidences in anything I do as an artist. Everything is with a point or a purpose. Now, I, as a fan of the original Blair Witch, not so much the sequels, but as a fan of the original Blair Witch, I wanted to play in that universe a little bit. And I had some ideas. And I sat down and I said, okay, I'm going to make a Blair Witch film. I'm not going to get permission. Now, fan films have existed since there have been films. Mm. And Lionsgate, which is currently the intellectual property rights holder for Blair Witch, has set a precedent of allowing these fan films to exist. Okay. You know, there are... Yeah, there are dozens of little short and little YouTube series and things like that um, by creators out there set in the Blair Witch universe. So... I talked to a lawyer, of course, and and went through the thing, and they said, look, at the end of the day, you are at the mercy of the copyright holder. Mm. You can put all the not-for-profit, I don't own this, all the warning labels, all the disclaimers you want. At the end of the day, no matter what you say or do, the second you utter the words Blair Witch, you are at their mercy. I said, okay, I can live with that. You know, it's it's the classic, uh, what I was talking about earlier, Oh, you're going to find me $500,000? Make it $5 million. Come get it. You know? <laughs> I've got a 95 Honda in the parking, in the driveway. You can <laughs> yeah, 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 but, yeah, yeah. So I decided it was worth the risk to get the attention. I wanted to, I had taken about a year off film 
Um, and so I wanted to draw some attention back to me and what I was doing. And so I thought using Blair Witch and the brand name recognition that would come with it would be worth the risk. I thought, worst case scenario, they send me a cease and desist, and you know that's that. Mm-hmm. Uh, best case scenario, and this is kind of where we're headed now, the film is played in, I want to say, 14 or 15 festivals and conventions around the world. Uh, we're getting positive feedback from everyone. Uh, a lot of critics love it. Uh, one critic has gone so far as to say it's the sequel we've been waiting for, or the sequel we deserve, something like that. And, you know, we're not pretending it's a multi-million dollar best film ever. Sure. It, it is what it is, and we acknowledge it is what it is right off the bat. It is a fan-made film in the style of the original. And yes. You know, there's, so, a, there's a reveal in the film that is breathtaking. Yeah. yeah. I, I, I think I know what you're talking about. Yeah, yes. where, where I literally was kind of like, I, I, I kind of, I'll be honest, I was like, I kind of know where we're going with this, and then that reveal happens, and you're like, whoa, wait a minute. Yeah. Right. So, first of all, kudos there. But cool. Yeah, Thank you. Good job. Go ahead. Sorry. Um, yeah, so we knew we were going to be at their mercy. And the risk, of course, is that you're going to be so popular, they have to step on you. Right? That's always the risk. It's going to be so popular, it's going to do so well, that they have to get involved. And that was my goal, was to make a film that would be well-received and popular enough that's like sending up a flare and saying, okay, you have to acknowledge me, either to shut me up or to um, acknowledge me and legitimize it. You know, and we knew it would fall in one camp or the other only. Either it will do well, they have to step on it to protect their intellectual property right, or it will do well and they have to acknowledge it and legitimize it because it's doing well. Mm. And, um, you know, so I started hitting festivals, started getting out there, started picking up some reviews, and Eduardo Sanchez, who's uh, director from the original Blair Witch Project, and I got to chatting. Mm. And he's going to help us present the film to Lionsgate. Nice, nice. So, Very cool. sidebar on Eduardo, he has a movie. He's he's a movie called Altered. That's yes. really good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I've seen it. Have you seen a? Have you seen Lovely Molly? Yeah, yeah. Oh, I dug that film. Yeah, he's a he's a good filmmaker. You know, yes, and unfortunately, the weird part is the thing that got him noticed is also the thing that's used to sort of kind of denigrate him in could, a weird yeah. way. Yeah, 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 yeah. Filmmaking, yeah. I, you know, we we all, you know, we all have stories. We all have things that we want to do. We all make, you know, films. Let's get down to the nitty gritty because here's the mystery to people who are in film school or maybe not in film school and just trying to do things on their own. Because as we've talked about, there's been a democratization of filmmaking through technology. Everybody can make a film, you know, for good or bad. Um. How the fuck, and you could make, I, I'm sure that you could make a lot of money doing a seminar on this, Jason. Um, and I say this to, like, my friend uh, Mike down in Las Vegas, too, who is a micro-budget filmmaker. And, and I, I think I know where you're headed. You know exactly where I'm headed. <laughs> how the fuck do you get your film distributed? How do you... I understand that there's distant, or rather, different distribution models now, right? It's it's yeah. it's a different world now than it was, even say, let's say, ten years ago. 
five years ago, three years ago. Exactly. Yeah. It changes like bam, 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 bam. Okay. And I'm not asking you to, to reveal secrets, but a general idea. How the fuck do people oh. get their film seen? And, and, and I'm happy to reveal what I know on this because, you know, it's a case of Darwinism. Yeah, there are 500,000 films being made a year, but a year from now, 10,000 of those people will still be making movies. The rest of them will be back to day jobs. So, you know, I'm happy to, to share that information and let the chips fall where they fall. So, in the current age, and this is something that, you know, like I said, I spend a ridiculous amount of time. I'm sure my girlfriend is sick of hearing about it. My friends are sick of hearing about it. Asking people, where do you watch movies? How do you watch movies? Oh, you, you shot on a, you know, on a red Epic in 4K and it's gorgeous, and I'm watching it on my cell phone. Right. You know, and so understanding how people are receiving their films is one of the big parts to that. And I'll assume you're talking about small budget films. Let's say, yeah. let's say, you know, uh, let's say under a quarter million. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because there's a zone. There's a zone in there as a filmmaker, as a film producer, that if you fall in this financial zone, distributors will tell you you are fucking yourself so badly. You know, with, with the exceptional lightning in a bottle moment. As a general rule, right now, the way the film market is shaping up worldwide, you need to shoot your film, small budget, 100000 or less. Right? Right. Get, get a B-list actor in there, get a name in there, somebody we recognize. If you can shoot it for that, you have a very real opportunity to make money. If you shoot for a million or two, then you've gone up in grade and you need to look at international sales and things like that in order to see your money back. And you would it be would it be fair to say at least for the type of filmmakers that we're talking about if that's if that's what you're doing you're screwed. Yes. Yeah, that's what I thought. Yeah. You know, those right. people <laughs> in the earlier part of this in the earlier part of the podcast I talked about our neighbors who you know shot for 400,000. Mm -hmm. They are in this uh, kind of this dead zone. It's like okay, your $400,000 film could probably make Hundred and fifty, two hundred thousand. It's not big budget enough to get international sales to such a degree that you're going to see a million or two. Right. It is over budget for you to self-distribute and get your money back. Right. They fall in that zone where, you know, getting a couple hundred thousand back through self-distribution or small label distribution is not unfeasible. You know, I mean. It Really, if you think about it, it's not that complicated. Look, if you make something for five dollars, mm -hmm. the chances uh -huh. of you making money on that are greater. Right. It, it, that's not to say that it's your, you know, that the end product is going to be great, mm -hmm. you know. But that's why people, uh, YouTubers, and people like that are able to make so much money is because they spend no money. They're right. literally their content is. You know, aside from whatever their initial investment was, uh, whatever camera, you know, it might be their their phone. Uh, right. uh, 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 aside from that, they're really not spending any money. Mm -hmm. So any money that comes in, yes, yeah, is profit. And it's ridiculous if you look at the revenue generated on something like if you know what Twitch is. Sure, Twitch yeah. is, is you watching other people play video games. Right. Yeah. Those guys, they they make a living. It's insane. Yeah. And, and that's exactly it. It's managing your cost. Um, and so talking about distribution, though, to get, to get back to that, how do you get your film distributed? 
A, right off the bat, know where you're going before you even shoot one scene. You have a plan in place before you even get to the point that you're ready to shoot a film. Question: Does that mean when you say know where you're going? Does does that mean okay? I know I'm 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 printing this on disc and selling it off my website, or you know what I mean? Like what what does that mean? It it means it means have a plan. Um, Your plan can change. Your plan can alter. But if your plan is shoot a movie, then go figure out what to do with it, yeah, right. that's hard. you've already fucked up. It's like writing a script with for knowing what you can, you know, it's like, I've, I can't tell you how many beginning scripts I read, and they have no money, and it's like, right. open on an arena full of people. An army is charging. <laughs> <Right. the sky. laughs> yeah, yeah, precisely that. So, yeah. really, you have to have a plan before you even go into production. And if that plan is hey, I've reached out to four or five distributors who have expressed some interest. Okay. You know that you have at least some interest. That means the film has potential. Right. That means... There are some legs there. Right. That means it means go ahead and shoot. Mm. You reach out to five or six potential distributors, talk about your film, and you get a meh. Well, you need to reevaluate your film. Mm. You know, you stop and go, okay, I reached out to four or five distributors, and not a single one of them thought the idea was interesting. Okay, here's the so, next question. Here's because I, I'm looking at this episode as an educational episode, and and mm-hmm. I hope that you don't mind that. Uh, no, not at all. And okay, so you, so you know, reach out to four or five distributors. Who the fuck are dis- are the distributors? Well, and that's where it gets tricky because the film market and how films are distributed is evolving almost daily right now. The I'm shooting a film this month. Um, we're shooting 90 minutes in one take with no cuts. Oh, nice. So we're rehearsing it pretty hard, trying to make sure we get it right. Sure. And it's like a play. Yeah, exactly. And so trying to make sure we are doing what we need to do, when we need to do it, and also that the actors are prepared and trained in case something goes wrong. I fully expect things to go wrong. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, but before I even shot this, I started looking into self-distribution and say, okay, if I want to put this on Amazon which is a great way to go. You know, I want to put this on Amazon, what do I need? Well, they need closed captioning, they need certain things. These all have to be factored into your budget going into it. You know, that's part of my budget management. Okay, I know I have to spend uh, $3,000 in post-production to get it up to standards to sell to Amazon or to um, upload to some of these sites. There are a lot of YouTube sites. Uh, Kings of Horror is one. You know, they do some really great stuff. Right. They distribute a lot of films. I, I'm going to take this opportunity to do a brief shout-out to a, uh, a group that I found through Facebook that's called Dust. And what Dust is is uh, 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 a collection of short science fiction films. And it, so far, without variation, they're all fucking brilliant. So Facebook users, check out Dust. Sorry, go ahead. Is it is it D U S T as in Tom Dust? Yep, yep, that's it. Yeah, yeah. Are um, they uh, are they on YouTube or? I, I, that I don't know. I've only ever seen them through Facebook, and they'll you know like every you know if I like something, then they'll pop up and say, sure. "Here's the story of you know this robot who blah blah blah." <laughs> but they're all they're all great. They're all short films, and they're all brilliant. Uh, I'm, I'm gonna check it out. Side, uh, sidebar: Have you heard? There's a film. Watch the sunset. 
It doesn't ring a bell. It's one of the trailers it's that one we're of the trailers talk about we're later. talking about, yeah. <clears throat> okay. Aussie Thriller shot in one one take. Woody Harrelson just did a film that was all in one take. Right, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and I, I think there's you know a little bit of a movement to try and do things like, and part of it's YouTube. You know, we watch these YouTube uh, clips and the, these YouTube personalities, and they're doing things with their camera in one take. Yeah. And certainly that's an evolving... In fact, that's probably a whole other podcast topic in itself. Mm. Um, but your, your question, you know, how do you get distribution? How do you get your independent film yeah. shot, finished, and out to people? How do you get it out there and make money? The very first thing you have to do is make a film people want to see. You come to me and you say, hey, I made this slow-moving romantic drama. Fuck you. I don't want to watch that. Mm-hmm, right. I don't. You know, if it's got Hugh Jackman and Nicole Kidman in it, maybe. Mm-hmm. But even then, probably not. Right. And if yeah. it's a independent film, definitely not. But I come to you and say, oh, man, I just made this new uh, horror film, and this guy, it's about an alien that turned people inside out, whatever. And it's got these great gore effects and, you know, all this kind of stuff going on. You, you'll probably watch it. Essentially, an exploitive element. If you're good, if you're working at this at this budget, you, you kind of want an exploitive element, yeah. Well, I, I don't know if exploitive it is the. I don't. The term- I don't mean that in a derogatory. Well, in the sense. same way, yeah, yeah. I think that Corman was exploitive or, or yeah. exploitative. Right. You have to make something people want to see, and that means understanding the market and understanding things. I will pay five bucks to see a low budget, you know, horror film. Back in the days of Hollywood video or, and whatnot, we'd go in and we'd rent a movie for three fifty, four bucks, and if it was a small budget horror film, we still rented it and watched it. Yeah. yeah if that yeah. budget, if that small budget genre film was sitting next to uh, Roses by the Lake, which one do you think I'm picking up? Right. Sure. Right. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. 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 Well, you and, know, and, evidence of all of this is just one look at if you look at Netflix. Um, the horror, the genre film. I'm not going to just stick, pick on horror, but the genre film section right. is much bigger than other sections. Right. And um, the the good news in all of that for the low budget filmmaker is is that the bar set so low because most of those films are one easily one star. So much so that Netflix had to change their rating system on streaming because every, yeah, now all of these just films, thumbs up and yeah. thumbs down. Yeah. All the low budget films were dropping to so the that, bottom. So that brings up a question because I remember when. Uh, Chillerama. Yeah. Uh, I remember when Chillerama came out. And, uh, I, and, and, you know, their, their big thing was they sold it to Netflix, right? Right. And then I remember, you know, and everybody was kind of like, oh, awesome. And then I remember the articles that came out afterwards and they're like, no, it sucks. Oh, it's, it's terrible. Like, yeah, it's like, yes, a whole bunch of people are seeing your film. But you're getting paid a penny. You know what I mean? It's like right, and you may never make another one because you're getting just critically blasted. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's hard to go to a a financier or a small-time investor and say, "Yeah, my last film was a critical bomb, but I need fifty thousand to make my next one." (laughs) You know, that's a hard that's a hard sell. Sure. Um, But yeah, so I I would say first, make something people actually want to see. And if you're working with a small budget, that often means a genre film. Comedy, horror, sci-fi, something that people will pick up and watch. Mm-hmm. You know, and so you're understanding your market, 
and doing that is one of your keys to distributing. Most of the distributors I've worked with in the past buy only genre films. They specifically look for genre films. There are the traditional circuits of going to the film festivals and hoping somebody offers you money. But none of those are really realistic in today's evolving market. Right. You know, self-distribution for independent film really is where we're headed. And people need to get on board and understand that soon. Um, and I've signed distribution deals. I, I've been through this over the last 10 years, the good, the bad, the ugly. Um, you know, I had a film that made about $150,000 on a $5,000 budget, of which I barely made my money back. Mm. The, distributor, the distributor fucked me seven ways to Sunday. Oh, we had to spend 20000 to send somebody to Germany to market your film. Oh, we had to spend 30000 to get new artwork developed. Oh, we had, you know, next thing you know, you're done. Next thing um, you know, you're burning his house well, down. And we'll <laughs> right, yeah, it's like it's a good thing you don't live in the same state, buddy. It's like John Whip filmmaker. <laughs> yeah. Um, it's like, you killed my film, motherfucker? Yeah, that's right. <laughs> um, yeah, I always fall back on a, a little gross point blank. Where do you live? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I think self-distribution really is where the market is headed, and people need to build that into their pre-production plan. You know, look at Amazon. Amazon posts their standards. These websites post their standards. You need to get onto those and look at those in advance and make sure you're shooting the standards. And that's why I talk about knowing where you go before you start shooting. Um, this new film, we plan on showing in a couple of festivals, keeping our festival run very short. And then we plan on self-distribution. Hmm, sure. Which, I, I mean, and uh, again, with the, um, the opportunities that, that, say, for example, the Internet offer you, you technically have access to billions of people. Mm -hmm. Yes. Uh, billions of potential customers. Now, the reality is that you're not going to, you know, those billions of people aren't necessarily going to even know that you exist because there's, right. a, there's a billion other things out there. But I'd be willing to bet that if you have something good, that there's enough out there that you're going to be able to make your money back. Right. And you need to look at things like good box art, having a great poster. Sure. So much of the Internet is impulse buy. Right. You know, you need to have a great poster. You need to have a world-class synopsis. And don't give me five paragraphs. I'm not so hard to write. Yeah. Well, so hard. I think I think it's the type of thing it's hard to write about your project. You have somebody yeah. else write it. Yeah, that's probably true. And and keep it down to two sentences. One sentence is even better. Well, I was told, always told you you want to develop your synopsis, but you also want to deliver like your pitch line, where like you can say your like, tagline. My pitch line for the first book was Gladiator meets Dawn of the Dead. So there, there's there's parameters. So at least someone goes, okay, I, I think I have enough of an idea to know right. that I'm interested. Yeah, in Yeah, you need that idea. high concept thing, right? Yeah. So it's like you know, um, uh, you know. Uh, I, I'm trying to remember now. I don't remember if this was with Jaws or one of the sequels, but something about uh, about being afraid to go in the water. Yeah, yeah. Don't go in the water. Yeah, don't. Go, yeah, basically. Yeah, and that tiny little, you know, four words mm -hmm. is brilliant 
because that's the one thing that I took away from that movie as a kid that has stayed with me into my middle age is oh. I'm afraid to go in the fucking water because of that movie. <laughs> if I if I say to you in space, no one can hear you scream. Yeah, 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 yeah. exactly. Well, there are whole games now about taglines and stuff. Really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, well. so, yeah. so those are all critical to your development and um, having those kind of mapped out in advance because you could make the next Gone with the Wind and if nobody sees it, it doesn't matter. Right. You have to be able to get attention. Again, I'm going to jump on the other side of the fence here and, and, and I've been accused of being a bit of a hippie, so, uh, <laughs> so bear with me. Yes, it doesn't matter. If I paint a great painting and no one ever sees it, does it matter? Maybe not. Because what you're in it for. But, well, and that's what I'm getting to. At the end of the day, when I'm on my deathbed, I'd rather say, I'd rather be able to say, I did this, 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 and this, whether you all saw it or not. Mm. Well, and I'd rather that than saying, I wish I had done this. Oh, yeah, I well, absolutely. They, they always, Gretzky talks about you miss every shot that you don't take. But right. the idea that the, the former, I think you end up being what I call a legend in your own hand. Yeah. You know what I mean? Because it's a lot of this. Yeah, yeah. yeah. At some point, yeah. the function of By more, this, I made Tom a jack was off jacking off. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so, a little. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, but yeah. Art, art by definition, there's these levels to art. Art, the creation, the, the the imagination of art, the fabrication of art. At some point, though, there there I think there has to be the presentation of art. Sure. The sharing of it. Sure. And if I just I just kind of there's a part of me that kind of rebels to the idea of like there has to be an audience. Well, I think there doesn't have to be an mini, audience. But if you're going to make any money, you, there better be. It's a mini victory. Well, Crossing the finish line on any creative project, you deserve kudos. Yeah, totally. That's absolutely. <laughs> you're you're kind of you're in it for also for to to show it and to make money at it. Hopefully, right. and, you hope and that it's good. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. But, sorry, let me, Jason, let, me try, let me chime in on that topic a little bit. Um, and I've certainly made things that I don't think anybody will ever see that I'm proud of, and I'm happy I did them. But I would like to go to my deathbed and be able to say I was able to provide for my family, my loved ones, by doing something I enjoyed. Sure. Mm-hmm. And to me, that would be a measure of success. If I am able to use my art in something that I'm passionate about and something that I enjoy doing to provide for my loved ones, for my kids, to provide opportunities for people I care about, then that is success for me. Right. In order to do that, I have to be able to make my next film. Right. You know, um, I'm paraphrasing, but Walt Disney said something along the lines of, I don't make movies to make money. I make movies to make more money to make more movies. Yeah. Yeah. Sure, sure. Yeah. It's like the Herbie yeah. Hancock theorem of, I'm, I'm going to make one really commercial record right. to finance the four really non-commercial right. records. Right, yeah, it's like the Tarantino. We're gonna do one more take. Why? Because we love making movies. <laughs> right. You know, and I know, I know that I can't make money off of the Blair Witch Project, but it has brought me attention and financing for my next project. Sure. Exactly. Absolutely. That's that's the other thing that we we really didn't get a chance to talk about is that a lot of a lot of what you do as a micro budget filmmaker isn't necessarily about turning a profit on that project, but it's about Getting, getting what you need for the next project. Right. 
showing you could bring a project to fruition, showing that it can be at least get good reception. Right. Maybe make a few dollars, and then hopefully they'll go. Well, we believe you enough that this will be different. Yeah. That you'll make more. Yeah. Nobody cares what you've done. They want to know what you're doing next. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. You know, everybody's like, well, what are you working on now? Oh, yeah. But that had this other cool thing I spent four years on. You want to see that? <laughs> no. <Yeah>. <laughs> Unless they were part of it, no, they don't. All they hear is, oh, that's, that's old. Well, this is a convoluted right. story, but a friend of mine ended up selling this concept to Next Generation, and that got him additional meetings with Next Generation. And they were so happy with this first idea. And they were like, what else you got? And he, yes. he he went in and said, I've got this other idea. And he gives them the other idea. They're like, hmm, no. What else you got? And he was empty. Mm. <laughs> then he was like, uh, <laughs> you know. Yeah, I, I, I never approach a, any kind of meeting without a full magazine. I'm ready, I'm ready to spray oh, the sure. whole You don't like that? How do you feel about music? One of my favorite <laughs> scenes from Ed Wood is when they're like, nah. And he's like... Doctor Alcula. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, absolutely. He just yeah, keeps, he, you know, that, and, and as much as silly, you know, or not as Edward was, or as accurate or not as that film was, that I've seen, I think, really captures the spirit that you need. It's like I'm not going to take no for an answer. Mm-hmm. I'm going to, I'm going to keep going until I get something. Yeah, until I'm the only one left in the room. Exactly. Yeah. It really knocks down to the kind of ABCs, make something people want to see, have great artwork, have a great synopsis. If you can get a name talent in there, great. If you can't get a name talent in there, then those first three things are even more important. Mm-hmm. You know, But for me, it just comes down to people expect to be entertained. They don't care if it's a documentary. They don't care if it's a horror film. They don't care if it's Avatar. If they're not entertained, they're not watching. Sure. And so you have to make something that is entertaining and engaging, and that's really the key to getting distribution. You know, it's just like a book. If I pick up a book and I'm not interested in the first 30, 40 pages, I'm probably not finishing it. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. It's not going to get real good at the end. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, and I've made the mistake of plowing through books like that. I just finished one where I got... The last forty pages and realized I don't give a fuck what happens. Yeah, I don't really yeah. care. Yeah. I read three hundred pages and I could toss it. I should not care. It's not like a television series where you might be able to say, you know, get through season one. No. Once you get through season yeah. one, that drives yeah, yeah. me insane. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> get yeah, if it's not good, it's not good. Yeah, yeah, get through this first forty hours of here. Narrative. I'm a, yeah. I have a plate of shit for you. At the but bottom. if you eat that, I've got this awesome casserole yeah. over here. But underneath that is nachos. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay. So uh, uh, here's a question: Is so we've talked about sort of the business part of it. I want to address really quickly the 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 other side of it, and that is like where where does your head land when it comes to film in general like what what like is there anything that you would like typify as um that you're like in something you're in the bag for you know that, uh where like influences and where you get them and and that kind of thing does that make any sense yeah well well it, it does and i'm kind of a believer in truth is stranger than fiction you know all you got to do is look around our world and there are constant ideas 
and I was really taught a couple of things. And one of those is add, yeah, but, to a conversation. You say, um, there was a giant alligator spot, you know, 30-foot alligator spotted on the golf links in Florida. Yeah, but what you don't know is that's the baby. Right. Or or whatever. You get the idea. So yeah, but kind of gives you ideas. Or asking what if. And what if is such a powerful statement in uh, in any kind of narrative or any kind of storytelling thing to say what if. Um, You know, what if Dwayne The Rock Johnson uh, was a skinny white kid? Mm-hmm. Right, right. What if, you look you say, would his personality still shine if he didn't have the looks and the body to back it up? What if he was pregnant? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> what, what if... <laughs> 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 Terrible. But, you, you, know, you get the idea. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, in our case, I'll give you an example from the Blair Witch Legacy. Um, I wrote the short synopsis on IMDb goes something like this. In 1999, Ars Entertainment unleashed a film that would change the horror genre forever. The Blair Witch Legacy was a brilliant hoax. But was it really? You know, and then, but was it? So we set up something you know to be true. It was a brilliant hoax. We all know the film was a hoax. But what if it wasn't? And that's kind of where Blair Witch Legacy picks up. And that's cool. Yeah. Because you, you do exactly what you say. It's like, uh, we're presenting it as this, yet there's right. that. Sure, there's my my stink on the ball. Yeah, you say what if the Blair Witch Le- the Blair Witch Project was actually based on a true story? Right, exactly. I yeah. remember my sister. I my sister was so pissed about when, when Blair she, Witch when she realized that Blair, you know, the whole Blair Witch thing was not real. Mm. Like she, right. she bought it hook line and like she was looking at the website and then right. she saw the movie and she was, she was pissed off yeah, yeah. when when she felt like she'd been duped and I'm I like, just no this is brilliant you know? I just remember at the time going oh yeah I got I, I yeah Cannibal Holocaust I got it right I, yeah, well, yeah yeah exactly yeah. yeah yeah the legend Legend of Boggy Creek right yeah right. yeah exactly. oh man Legend yeah. of Boggy Creek it's terrible <laughs> <laughs> but. Okay, but you so, think everything is terrible. No, I don't. Actually, I well, okay. Here's the thing: it's like it, it is terrible, but but it still resonates. We are sure. men of a certain age, and oh, yeah, we yeah, say yeah, the yeah, Legend yeah, of Boggy yeah, yeah. Creek. We remember those TV ads, and we remember yep. that poster. Yeah. If nothing else, it's a great poster. Yeah, it is a great poster. But yeah, yeah, absolutely. Which speaks to Jason's point of like having great, having a great poster. Yeah. Sure. Right, it it sticks in your memory. Let me I, let me ask you a question, Jason. Um, it, when it comes to distribution, have you done well with selling rights overseas? No. And that is kind of a, a multifaceted question, but the short answer is no, because a lot of times certain genres and certain things don't translate well overseas. We're having that issue now with a film that we're shooting with a with an LA cast and crew is the overseas buyers are struggling with the concept behind the film because it's largely an American concept. I, I'm, I'm getting, I'm, as, as technology goes along, I'm starting to get the idea that, uh, because I think at one time 
it was easier to sell your film overseas because <laughs> because so, say for example um, we're, we're going to take Star Wars in it as an example you know Star Wars <laughs> right and so you make this little low budget um, science fiction movie that's nothing you know nowhere near Star Wars but you sell it uh, to a market in we'll, we'll say India not to pick on India but, but we'll say India and then they, you know, come up with this poster that makes it look like Star Wars. Right. And it's got lasers and it's got spaceships in it, so they would buy it. But now, yeah. I think that um, with uh, computer technology and all these different things, those markets are making at least maybe whether they're as good or not but they're making stuff as impressive looking as what Hollywood's making so that's no longer a viable market you can't you can't sell them your cheapened version of this for example is it would you, right. would you yeah can you, can you imagine if um, Robert Rodriguez walked up to somebody today with El Mariachi right exactly you know and said hey you know, buy this well no yeah. it's just not going to happen and that's just it Technology has become, you know, a, a boom and a curse at the same time. Yes, more filmmakers are being given the tools to make their art and to be able to explore the worlds they want to explore and make these probably fantastic films. But it becomes a distributor's market. I'm a distributor, and you don't want to accept my terms of 20% net, which is nothing. You don't want to accept my terms. Well, there are 5,000 filmmakers behind you who will. Right, exactly. Right. Yeah. You, you know, and technology has just done that to us where, you know, a lot of these countries, we're seeing some really, really great horror films from foreign territories that in the past didn't have a film market at all. Mm -hmm. Right. Well, a film we're going to talk about a little later is a, a Filipino thing. And um, it's got all the the budget and look of yeah, a... Yeah, I, I, I do look forward to talking about that trailer. Yeah. Um, yeah, but more and more. I mean, you got you, there is a Spanish market now. There's a well, Armenian market. There's a. I mean, when it when it comes to technology, so so uh, Jason, I run a film festival up here called Bleeding Ham, and uh, uh, it's it's this is going to be our seventh year coming up. Just in that short amount of time, we've seen as far as the the look of the film, you know, the quality of the of the camera, the lighting. Uh, that type of stuff, even the post work, it's it's a it's a, it's like vastly improved. It's it's right. yeah, it's like crazy, right? So now all the films, well, almost all the films that we get, they all look great, mm -hmm. and it drives home the point of you got to have a good story because as right. things go on, everybody can make something that looks fantastic, mm -hmm. right? But you got to have a reason why. Yeah, shooting in 4K on a red. Beautiful sunset, mountains. Man, that's really gorgeous for about five minutes if your story's not entertaining. Sure. Well, you know, I, I will watch even something like the original Blair Witch, which the quality on that obviously was not good. Um, I would watch that on my phone as a story that engaged me, but I won't watch some gorgeous 4K boring story on my Apple TV if it, if it doesn't entertain me. Right, right, right. right. At the end of the day, know, your story's your foundation. And your delivery story does matter, because I don't want to watch Mad Max Fury Road on my phone. But people do. I, I know watch, they do, but I, I don't watch, watch the them. right stuff right. on a, <laughs> literally a five-inch screen. 
because <laughs> it was it was I was yeah. single and young and poor, and so I had, <laughs> and it was just so funny because it was like the Saturn V rocket, the biggest rocket ever, and it launches and it's like, yeah. <laughs> but that's that's just it. You mentioned this, and I totally agree. Story is king. Yeah, uh, has been, and it probably always will be. If your story is good, your audience will sit through and watch, even on their phone or uh, whatever technology they're using to, to stream your film. If your story is good and engaging, people will watch it. Mm-hmm. And it will grow and continue to find an audience. If your story is bad, right out, I, I get scripts all the time from people. And uh, I got one the other day. The first three pages probably had 20 typos and grammatical errors. I threw that fucker in the trash can. The guy calls me. What'd you think of my script? I go, I have no fucking clue. He goes, well, well, why not? I said, I threw it in the trash. It's like, why? I go, you're using Final Draft, right? He goes, well, yeah. I go, okay. I know for a fact Final Draft puts a red squiggly line with all those typos and all those chromatic layers. Yeah. I go, that tells me either you're lazy or you're stupid. And I don't want to work somebody who falls in either category. Right, right. Sure. And I go, you presented this to me as a final draft ready to shoot. Sure. You know. Or that, again, there's that expectation. I expect you to be a pro. Right. And if you want to be if you want to be treated like a pro, then act like one. Mm-hmm. You know. Proofread, rewrite, edit, get your shit together before you present it. Yeah. Yep. You know, and this guy's like, well, this is the final draft, it's brilliant. It may be, but I'll never know. Right, 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 right. and because again, it's I, I have a hard time with people. They were like, "Will you read this?" It's like, uh, uh. yes. If I, if I have a relationship with them, I will. So for the most part, I try not to because number right. one, we'll put you in a bad position. It it might be amazing, mm-hmm. right? Well, it puts me in a really horrible position because I've learned from past experience. For example. Um, I was interviewing Steve Niles once, and he was talking about how this guy wanted to get into a write, writing comic books. And he handed him, he goes, what do you think of this? And he handed him a piece of paper, and it had 25 bullet points, and it was this guy's 25-bullet-pointed yeah. pitch list. Now all of those ideas are, are bouncing around in my yeah, head. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. And it's really yeah. easy to go, six months later, go, I have this idea about something that's gonna, and then you find out later that it was, you know. So it's right. hard. It's really hard. On the other hand, though, there's a there's a quid pro quo. If you want to get your shit read and and help, well, the, yeah, help you, with, you, you got to you develop this this network of of trusted people, and you all look at each other's work and yeah. you offer. But you, you but like the random person, no. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, that's the hard part. Is after you give it to them, and then you have to wait. <laughs> That's what I'm in right now. I just handed someone two guys a book, and I'm like, I'm just waiting to hear back. And it's really nerve-wracking. Yeah, you want to Facebook and be like, and yeah, I know. And I try to stay out of their way. Well, but you know. can't do that because they got lives, and yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. And, and they're busy, and yeah. you know. Well, you know, you know what I do when I finish a script and I feel like it's ready to actually see the public. You know, seven, eight drafts later, um, I do a script read and we do a table read. Oh, that's good. And I tell everybody. When we are done, when the last word is spoken, please don't talk. Fill out the questionnaire at the back of the script before you talk to anybody else. Right. Yeah. And it's like an eight-page questionnaire. I mean, it's detailed. Did you like this? If so, why? Did you hate this? If so, why? Yeah. 
you know, are there characters you think we could do without? Are there characters you feel like are irrelevant or yeah, anything like that? And I have everybody fill that out first, and then we roundtable it, right? You know, because they start talking to each other, you got to now it's a group consensus, and right? Right. And, and then you get the, I like, I really like B. Oh yeah, yeah, me too. I like that too. I'm gonna put that oh. right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but you didn't like that ten minutes ago. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and then I and then I gather up these surveys after everybody's gone home, and I sit and I pour through them and I look for commonalities. Mm-hmm. If you know, ten out of twelve people who read it say this character doesn't seem to serve any purpose. Yeah. I, as a writer and a filmmaker, need to go back and look at that character and see how to get rid of him. Yeah, everyone hated Phil. You need to look at Phil, right? Because right? he's really even necessary. All of this. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. If one person says it, fuck you. You're probably wrong. But <laughs> right, if ten people say it, you know, if ten people say it, you have a problem. Right. Because we, as a creator, have to look, have to recognize that sometimes. We're putting stuff in there that uh, that we can't we can't see past. You know, it's like right. they're there for an important reason in our head, but that doesn't necessarily mean that they belong in that story. Right. You know. Right. I, yeah. I regularly say, "Wow, that sounded really good in my head." Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, but then somebody says it, and you're like, "Jesus, that's the worst dialogue I've ever heard." Yeah. I've talked about this before, but uh, Caitlin Kiernan, the way she works is she she works in the morning on Monday and then Monday night she reads Sunday's words and they leapfrog like and yeah, yeah, yeah. hearing giving someone a copy of your work and having them read to, to read it to you while you follow along that makes a that, that's that's it yeah it's that's it it's, it's but who's gonna that requires someone sitting there every night and here's an exercise that I found really really useful um, and and you're not gonna don't go into it expecting you're going to come up with something. You're not. It's going to be goofy and silly, but it's a great exercise. It's like, you know, you, all this stuff, creativity, mind, it's all a muscle that you have to exercise, right? right. My, my friend, uh, my writer friend and I, Eric, we used to do this thing where we would like, we would not talk to each other, but we would send each other a paragraph. Oh, yeah. yeah Here's yeah, a narrative yeah. paragraph. Now you've got the ball, mm-hmm. and you carry, you write the next paragraph. And so on and so forth, and it would go in completely. Sometimes you're just trolling each other, right? You're just going sure, there, sure, sure. You know. Yeah, um, but mm-hmm. it, but one, it's fun, and two, it makes you because you you don't have control of every aspect of it. It throws you curves ball curveballs, right. and you have to figure out mm-hmm. how how would I yeah how I, I get yeah yeah yeah. I think that's a cool exercise. It is, and sometimes it, sometimes you find a little golden nugget in there too. Right, yeah. exactly. Luckily, I found a shortcut <laughs> to the generation of ideas, and it's legal here in in Washington, so that works for me. Um, but I think that's inherent because I do work alone, right? And so I don't have that opportunity to like. Usually, when I present, like I just sat my wife down yesterday with a new idea, and I'm like, "Okay, tell me how full of shit I am right here," and then you yes. can sort of operate from there. But I think it's having that person that you can yeah I think that's important to have that that editor at least someone, an editor of ideas someone to at least just tell you somebody who knows you yeah and yeah. knows when you're I would never I don't I used to give my wife stuff to edit like grammatical but she, right you know, no that's <laughs> different uh, like somebody who says 
Okay, I know you, and and I know yeah. I recognize well, it's you're, like with you're starting to go into the weeds. Yeah, yeah. it's like with anything. Yeah. It's like, does this make sense? Because it makes sense yeah. in my head, but yeah. clearly, yeah. It, a lot of times it's hard because you know the character's motivation going into it. Right, right, right. right. Sometimes the audience is like, I don't know why the fuck they did that. I have to catch That's myself fun. from. Oh well, yeah, I thought of that. He has a yeah. he has a, a dirt in his hand. Oh, but you didn't say that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I find with writers they do this. He walks in a room, he picks up the newspaper, he picks up the remote, he picks up his drink. Well, now you've got him walking around with three things in his hand. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. you gotta, you know. Well, and you need somebody who can call you out on your shit too. You yeah. know, I, uh, I as a bit an idea one time, and uh, somebody very close to me goes, "The fuck are you thinking? You can't put this on the screen." <laughs> oh, oh, I. Yeah. Uh, what was I thinking? I uh, uh, I don't know what I was thinking. You this, never know, though. This is for the screen inside your head. I, yeah, I, they're like, I, you can't fucking put this out there. I have <laughs> like, a story concept about men having sex with zombies, so and there's no way that'll ever see the screen. Oh bullshit! Huh? bullshit. I really? thought it's already happened. You you must not spend much time on the internet. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, but you know, again, you never know. Sometimes things get bought. Like I think that got bought up so that it wouldn't compete with an idea that they had. Right. right. And I'll just buy the rights to that and bury that. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. Push my idea forward. Yeah. Oh, that happens all the time. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, tell me a little about what you're. We've actually gone. To, I think twenty minutes long. Yeah. yeah. Um, uh, tell me what you're working on now and how people can get in touch with you. Sure. So the easiest way to get a hold of me is uh, you know. I use the login Cinema Drifter uh, on Twitter and on Instagram, and that's probably the easiest way to get a hold of me there. Okay. I'll respond to those. On Facebook, you can find me under my name, Jason Hawkins. Um, I do my best to actually respond to people and be open to it, though I have had to deal with some stalkers and some harassment uh, lately. Mm. So, you know, I may be shutting it down just because it got pretty nasty. Yeah. Uh, yeah, there was some horrible play. Well, there were some threats directed at my three-year-old. Yeah. You know, some pedophile comments, yeah. um, shit like that. It's like, it's a good fucking thing these people live, you know, across the country. Right, right, right. Uh, you live down the street, you're probably gonna, <laughs> you're, you're probably gonna need a dentist. But anyway, <laughs> I do my best to uh, respond to people and be able to talk to people that way because I think it's important. So that's kind of the easiest way to get a hold of me. And then, as far as what's coming up. We're, there's a lot of demand already for us to do a sequel to Blair Witch Legacy. And so we're batting that idea around, and a lot of it depends on how Lionsgate responds to this one. With that, uh, with that in mind, is, is there a place where people can see Blair Witch Legacy now? No. And that is actually design. Our original plan had been to release it in March after it has like one more festival this month. Hmm. Our plan had been to release it in March. Now, with Lionsgate's possible involvement, that could change everything, right? They could step on it. They could like it. I mean, we just don't know how they're going to respond. Sure. So once that happens, we'll know a little bit more. If nothing, if they don't respond at all, then my plan is to release it in March and start getting the second one set up. So I have that going. Um, I have a Hollywood film called Paper Dragons, which is due to start shooting in mid-March, I believe it is. And that's kind of a weird experience for me because it's um, L.A. produced, L.A. crewed, all that's happening down in Hollywood, and I'm just directing. Oh, nice. Nice. So that's a step up, but it's also kind of weird because I'm used to having that 
control you get with being an independent artist. Right. And I, you know, they're like, oh, we're going to cast this person. Well, do I get a say in it? No. <laughs> oh. <laughs> I like them, you know. Yeah. Right yeah. So that's kind of an experience, but I think that's part of the growth process. Well, yeah. Is, you know, you step up to the next level, and the next level, you don't have to do 50 jobs yourself. Right. That's true. And I think also a kind of a uh, probably a micro-reflection re- of what's going on in the big Hollywood film, mm-hmm. where it's like, okay, you're, you're signed on to do a Star Wars movie, for mm-hmm. example, uh, but if you're not doing what we... Right, right, right. Like you're you're yeah. you're just as disposable as everybody else. Yeah, you're yeah. just assembling yeah. our vision. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Well, right yeah. So that's what's coming up. Um, doing that, shooting this film later this month. Um, strange thing in that film, I have to get punched in the face, and uh, I told the actor, I said, "Go ahead and punch me." Good yeah. for you. Good for you, Jason. <laughs> Good for you. Well, I, I've done I've done MMA for thirty years, so it's like I, I feel like I can take a punch to the face at this yeah, point. Yeah, absolutely. And if it's, it's like not going to yeah, yeah. It. It's, it's a close up, and we've looked at it from a few different angles, and we want the audience to buy that everything that happens in the film from that point on is true. Yeah, right. So you got to take right. If we sell them the hard punch in the very beginning. They are more likely in mind to buy that what comes next is also real. They'll buy everything else. Yeah. Have but you seen uh, High Kick Girl? Today it's a Japanese film. They're really they're really hitting people all over that movie. Yeah. <laughs> they're like little puffs of dust coming out. Right. <laughs> yeah. and, and I feel like you know working with actors who are also uh, MMA trainers and fighters, yeah. they're probably not going to take my head off. They understand the concept between throwing a punch and right, yeah. right, right, right. Right yeah. on, right on. Well, shit, we didn't even talk about that. No, we'll, no. Have, to, we'll have to bring so, you back for so, something like that. Uh, we're going to take a break for a sec, and uh, we'll be back in just one second.
Okay, so awesome, awesome. We yeah. always say that awesome because we always have awesome guests. <laughs> That's right. Um, but yeah, uh, it's. I think what's really fascinating about that is so many creative people I meet, they their thinking sort of stops at the well. Here it is, yeah. And they don't realize that yeah. that's only half the job. Like I've made this awesome thing; mm-hmm. it's going to do well, right? Because it's awesome. Yeah, yeah, and you realize that there's you know there's a whole, a whole lot other, of awesome yeah, out there. Yeah. Uh, moving on to this other stuff. I don't know what happened. <laughs> First of the year, and just, I guess people just felt like, I'm done, and they left. Yeah. A uh, lot of stuff here. Um, Rick Hall passed away. Um, Rick Hall, fought, called the father of Muscle Shoals. Yeah. Music. Um, musician. Rick Stevens. Uh, this was back on, on in September, and I just heard about this. Um, vocalist for Tower of Power sang the lead on You're Still a Young Man. Right, right, right. Uh, Peggy, actress Peggy Cummings, she was, Cummins, she was in Curse of the Demon and Gun Crazy. Yeah. Just going along. Frank Buxton, he was a writer-director on on um, things like Happy Days and Odd Couple, mm-hmm. that kind of thing. Uh, Going to skip that guy, come back to him. Darlene Flugel, she was an actress. She was in Running Scared and To Live and Die in L.A. Yeah. Um, in her 60s. Um, fairly young. Harry Landers, who was in Ben Casey, for those oldsters out there who remember Ben Casey. Sure. Um, John Paul Stewart. He's a young guy. He played Worf's son, Alexander. Right. On yeah, yeah, Next yeah. Generation. Um, in his 30s? Yeah, it was in yeah. his late 20s, early 30s. Yeah. Gentleman by the, who went by the name of... Um, Kevin Lee Light, uh, if you were ever in West Hollywood and you saw a guy walking around looking and dressed like Jesus, that's Kevin. Uh-huh. Uh, he was a big uh, uh, patron of the comedy store, and he didn't do stand-up. He was just one of those super supportive people who just happened to kind of make his money by walking around West Hollywood and getting getting photographed, getting taken, photographed with, and, taken with Jesus. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and then today, astronaut John Young made six trips into space. He was the ninth person to walk on the moon. Mm-hmm. And uh, Jerry Van Dyke. Yeah. Uh, Dick Van Dyke's brother. brother. Yeah. Um, coming hot on the heels of Rosemary, you know. Yeah. And Dick Van Dyke, who's 94, yeah. has got to be going like, oh, that's got that, that's all like getting a little close. Yeah. Well, I don't know. I, I, I get the feeling that Dick Van Dyke is like, I'm dancing and and he's having a great yeah, time. Yeah, I'm dancing until I until I'm gone. You know, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, a lot, but you know, there there wasn't any of the big ones. It was just a lot of yeah, you know. Uh, moving on to some news. Mike Tyson is broke ground on a forty-acre quote-unquote marijuana resort in South uh, Southern California. Okay. For what is that? Is it a hotel? Like, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know what a marijuana resort is. I don't either. Is. I don't either. Yeah. I know they have some, like, B&Bs in Colorado uh-huh. that, that are what I they call... I just find it odd that, like, any, anything that would, like, you know, its uh, its thing is, you know, some substance. It just know. seems weird to go... I mean, if you don't live in a state where it's legal and you go so, you go there to, to get stoned, I guess... Sure. Sure. I guess that's a vacation yeah, in a yeah, weird yeah. sort of way. Yeah. Um, 
in light of what the what Jeff Sessions is babbling about about yeah, yeah, yeah. kicking back all that stuff and the fact that uh, I just read an article today that they maybe pu- this may be the thing that pushes it for national legalization. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, here's Tyson invested in a forty acre marijuana resort. Is that I, who knew that Tyson had that much money? <laughs> <laughs> I guess the China salesman must have had a payday. <laughs> It's yeah. doing well somewhere. It's amazing. It's amazing. It's an amazing time we live in. Yeah, yeah. Um, Henry Rollins notice uh, put up a notice about embarking on a slideshow tour. Yeah, uh, uh, that looks that sounds really good. I, you know, like you know, we've known you know for years and years that you know basically he's globe trotting, and um, you know, and we've seen that reflected in his writing, mm-hmm. but. Along with that, he's been taking photographs, mm-hmm. and so he's talking about doing a, a traveling show where he's basically showing these. It's like vacation photos. Yeah, exactly. Kind of in a weird yeah, yeah, way. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, he was uh, he was on Rogan's show recently, and um, it's a good. It was an interesting interview, but it was really interesting to watch those two personalities. Yeah, play sure, sure. Um, I'm all for it. I think the more that Henry can do that kind of stuff. The better, yeah, absolutely. Uh, he's great at it. Mm-hmm. And uh, mm-hmm. there uh, was a uh, thing I saw where he was—he had a camera crew and he was going around Ireland. He was talking to a lot of the people there about the troubles. Right. It might have been part of his show, his yeah. IFC show, yeah, which yeah, yeah, yeah. I really liked. Back Dude, in the day. that was such a good show. Yeah. And, and you know what's aggravating to me is that it's really hard to get the second season on disc. Is it really? I have the first season on disc, but it's really tough to get the second season on disc, which I've never understood. That's weird. Yeah, it's weird. Jillian uh, Anderson says she's leaving the X Files after season eleven. Chris Carter says no Jillian, no X Files. I don't know that anyone. I think other than the novelty of that season ten. Mm-hmm. I don't know a single person that's watching season eleven right now. I, which is on, like I, now. I, I on. was gonna say uh, there's an X file. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. It's kind of interesting, because, but I agree. No one wants to stick around to see Mulder. Sure, do anything. Yeah, and um, she's got a much more interesting career as an actress than X Files. Yeah, you know. Uh, File the center. Who cares? Jack Black's coming back to Goosebumps too. Hey, I know. I guess that's a news to someone. They announced Netflix announced a series of unfortunate events season two. The, right. The Lemony Snicket thing. Right. Uh, March thirtieth of eighteen. Which I I, I I haven't even checked out the first season. I enjoyed the movie mm. though that was made. You know, Neil Patrick years Harris before. is great. Um, in everything, yeah, you know, uh, I, I want to say Jim Carrey played is in the movie, the, yeah, played the character in the movie, yeah, 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 yeah. Um, I'm, I, I, I too. My daughter read the books and she enjoyed them, yeah, just like they're doing an Artemis Fowl and she read that too, right? U.S. ticket, U.S. movie ticket sales this year were the lowest in 25 years. Huh. Go some figure. Pe- some people are blaming streaming. I'm gonna blame. The movie-going experience. I'm gonna blame shitty movies. Shitty movies too. But we went to when we went to go see the even the, when we went to go see Shape of Water. It was still not stellar. The experience wasn't stellar. Mm-hmm. Like my seats, you know. I, I just kept thinking, man, all I have to do is wait two months, and I can put this on my plasma. You know what I mean? And I can sit real close and turn sure. it up real loud. But you lose that communal aspect of film going, right? Right. So, I don't know. Um, it's funny, when I went... They have to do something, though. Yeah. 
when I went and saw it at, as it was done, there were people trying to get an, a, clap, a, a going. clap going, and then yeah. it wasn't happening. Yeah. There's nothing more lonely than being the well, sole ca- here's clapper. Well, here's the thing about that. Like, I, 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 I agree that's kind of a magical experience when it happens, when you go to a movie, mm-hmm. and at the end, everybody's just like, whoa! You yeah, know? yeah, yeah. But at the same time, there's no one there to hear your applause. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's like quick record this and send it to Guillermo. Yeah, no, I I, I hear you. I hear you. I also find it weird where it's like when I see late like people who are clearly lay people, like watching the credits. I <laughs> like, right. What are you yeah. reading? Yeah. Like at some point you're gonna go, <laughs> Jeff Johnson. Holy shit! <laughs> I went to school with that guy. Yeah, anyway. Spotify was hit with a $1.6 billion copyright lawsuit from um, uh, pri- pr- primarily because of Tom Petty and Stevie Nicks. Uh-huh. Un- using, not paying royalties and that kind of thing. Gotcha. Like Napster, whether you, well, Rhapsody, now Napster, whatever you say about them, they pay people, they don't pay them enough. But again, it's a contract that they entered in. Right. So, Stephen Dorff has been cast along with the guy from um, Moonlight. Um, for, not Moonlight. Is it Moonlight? Yeah, Moonlight. For uh, True Detective Three. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. I saw that. It follows yeah. their their model of getting people who are just they're good actors, but they maybe their their star has fallen a little bit. Right. John Bernthal. Um, they were in an interview. They were talking to him, and they were asking him about the adoption of the Punisher and the Punisher symbol by the alt right. At which point he said. Quote, fuck them. Yeah. Which I thought was pretty badass. Yeah, 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 Good yeah. job, John. I, the more I... I'm, in, in your list, you had the thing about Paul Servina. No. <laughs> That's another gangster move, though. Uh, go ahead and say what that is. Well, uh, apparently he didn't know about... Um, uh, Weinstein? Weinstein's uh, moves on his daughter at one yeah. point. And how he was going to wreck her career if she didn't do... Mm-hmm. You know, X, Y, or Z, and so I I don't know who it was, TMZ or somebody caught up to him, and he's like, <laughs> he's like, I can't remember now the exact quote, but something about he's going to go to jail, and yeah. if he doesn't, he's going to be picking up his teeth. <laughs> yeah, he said, I'll kill the motherfucker. Yeah, that's right, I'll kill the motherfucker, which is so badass, so awesome. Well, if you look on YouTube. During the time that they were making Repo the Genetic Opera, there's they were after they were they were on set after shooting. Right. And there's this great moment where he Sorvino pours out it's gotta be a dozen shots of something, whether it's 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 vodka or whatever. And uh, everyone's gonna take a shot. They're like shot, shots, everyone's gonna take a shot and he pushes everyone away and in thirty seconds you watch him down He downs all of them. All of them <laughs> and you're just like Jesus Christ! Yeah, it, so yeah, that's bad. Yeah, yeah, yeah I love like, that guy. Don't fuck with that guy. Um, I had heard this was being done, and now it's coming to fruition. There was always talk about a horror Expendables. Well, writer director Harrison Smith has a movie coming out called Death House. It's a horrible idea. It's a, it's, wait till you hear this. This is the cast. <laughs> Kane Hodder, Jason, <laughs> right. Barbara Crampton from um, from Beyond, Sid Haig from <laughs> Devil's Rejects, Bill Mosley, Devil's Rejects, sure. Tony Todd from Night of the Living Dead, Dee Wallace from um, what E.T., 
Felissa Rose and, uh, from um, Sleepaway Camp. Vernon Wells, who I think is the guy from Commando. This really sounds like somebody went to like a bunch of conventions. Yeah, and just signed him up. <laughs> R.A. Myhaloff, who played Mike Myers, I think, at one point. Camille Keaton, who was in the I Spit on Your Grave. Danny Trejo, Lloyd Kaufman, Adrian Barbeau. <laughs> And all I know is, is like Kane Hodder is this really they're bad guy. They're filming in an institution or some uh-huh. shit. Yeah. And um, some, who knows what happens? But now it's like essentially the the guy that everyone feared is the dude that's like. This sounds. If you want to live, follow me. Or this whatever. is okay. So this is the um, horror film equivalent of going to a rock festival. <laughs> So you go, and there's like, it sounds great, right? Yeah. There's 20 bands. Yeah. It's like, have you tried to like sit through like yeah, I just, ba- <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I mean, even if you give everyone a moment. Right. That's like a two-hour movie, <laughs> which I don't even get. And so, so now you've got like Robert Englund walking through a scene going, hey, everybody. <laughs> Delivering pizza. <laughs> Fan favorite Robert Englund here. You might remember me as Freddy Krueger, but yeah. It just sounds... I think you're right. It's like a filmmaker said, what if we gather all these people together? Okay, no one cares. Because they're like, oh, I read or heard that you need to get a, a name attached to your project. <laughs> We're going to go better. We're going to get 20. That's right. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't make any sense. I hope it's good, but oh, jeez. Oh, uh... It, uh, spoiler it won't be. <laughs> 007 producer says next Bond is, could potentially either be black or female well I, I mean we've been Idris Elba that, right. or Charlize <laughs> Theron <laughs> yeah I'm sure you heard it here I've always loved that idea that the dub, the the moniker 007 James Bond is like uh, a title that gets it's handed like around. It's like the crow. Yeah. It's like, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Going back to last week. Yeah, yeah absolutely. So it, it makes sense. Like, why are, Why do they all look different? Well, because they were different people. Yeah, they're they different just, people. Yeah. Um, yeah. Which is a great idea and the best way to deal with that, I think. Uh, yeah, I agree. Yeah. Kate Beckinsale is, joins Amazon's The Widow. I know nothing about it. Just don't, Kate Beckinsale. Don't know. Right. I'm going to go out on a limb and say that her husband died. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's funny. Uh, Ellen Page married uh, Emma Portner from the Broadway Dance Center, and there are pictures up on their Instagram that are just adorable. Cool. Um, Jeopardy is on hiatus as Alec Trebek undergoes brain surgery because after a fall. <laughs> Page two. Uh, former new. Man, what happened to, to like? Did, did Paul Harvey retire before yeah. he passed away? Yeah, I think so. Okay. See, you're the only one that gets the <laughs> Paul like... Harvey joke I just made. <laughs> All right. Former New Line executive Walter Hamada, he produced It and the Conjuring, has been named head of uh, the new head of DC Films. Okay. Which makes sense with when you when you deliver two $200 million essential bombs. Mm-hmm. Not bombs, but they just didn't do as projected. Yeah, you're going to get replaced. And, yeah, and here's our new it's guy. It's like you know the sports team that doesn't do well through the season that their coach gets replaced. Right, exactly. Uh, let's see, Animaniacs got a two season order from Hulu, so they're bringing Animaniacs back. I liked 
Animaniacs a lot. I I uh, I worry that it's going to be different. Mm -hmm. You know, um, but yeah, it was a smart show. I, it was a smart show. Yeah, yeah. You know, I didn't. There are big chunks of it I didn't like. I, I was never a fan of Good Feathers. I was not a huge fan of Rita and Runt. Mm -hmm. But yeah, I'm down. We sat down the other night and watched season one, episode one, and you know, it's, it's dated. A lot of Bill Clinton jokes. Sure, but it was hilarious and relevant. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, the the finger and subversive. Yeah, the, there's a great fingerprints joke in there where it's you know um, we have to look for prints and then Dot is holding prints and, and she goes, <laughs> "I found him." And then Wacko go, Yako goes. No, we have to fingerprints, and they 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 kind of look at each other like, that ain't gonna happen. That's a funny bit. Uh, let's see. Ridley Scott set is in talks to direct the Merlin saga um, from novels by T. A. Barron. Did you see that he said that he couldn't be trusted with the Star Wars movie? In an interview, he goes, "Oh, I can't be trusted with a Star Wars movie." Yeah, no, he's he 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 said he's too dangerous. Yeah, he's too dangerous. <laughs> <laughs> I just imagine Ridley Scott well, on the and, set. And and to be fair, he's right. Yeah, he's right. He's not going to toe the line. Right. He's, yeah, you know, and and uh, well, clearly, <laughs> he's not. <laughs> yeah. So you know that's good. That's that's called being self-aware. Yeah. Uh, Method Man was cast in the Shaft reboot that we talked about a few weeks ago. Yeah. Okay, <laughs> the actor that is. Method I don't Man. see that. The I don't see the the, the need for this. By the way, we, we haven't looked at a at a, at a trailer, um, and of course now that I bring it up, I can't remember the damn name. Mm -hmm. um, but there's a there's a, a an action film coming out um, that's a. a uh, a black female character. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's the girl from Empire. Yeah. What yeah, the yeah. hell's the name of that? I don't that? know. Proud Mary. Proud Mary. Proud Mary. Uh, Look, I, it looks like a black female John Wick. I kind of dig it. Yeah. It, it looks cool. I, I was yeah. kind of like, this is cool. Like, it's like that one movie, Colum Columbiana, that no one ever talks about, but yeah. it's kind of groovy. Yeah, it's, yeah. It's silly, but it's, you know. Yeah. Um, George R. R. Martin... Uh, they talk about Game of Thrones final season won't be till 2019. Right. Um, but I he's... Think, you know, people are like, well, but I think that's a good thing because yeah. maybe that means they're spending time and they're going to make it really badass. Yeah, hopefully. Yeah. Hopefully. But he did just um, sell a series to sci-fi that they're, it's going to star Gretchen Maul called Night Flyers. And what it is is uh, a ship called the Night Flyer that there's these this crew is on. Um, it's a little reminiscent of Event Horizon, mm -hmm. but they're all psychics, and they go to this anomaly in space kind of a thing, and then little by little, people start going nutso and crazy. And okay. Yeah, yeah. I was um, really hoping it was about, like, um, these these dudes that would come into a situation with uh, black hang gliders <laughs> and take right? care. Wasn't that, a, wasn't that a movie? There was a movie once. Was with, it called Night Flyers? It no night gliders something like that. There was the one. Remember the one, the hang gliders in World War Two that they took off from the tower. I want to say that's the movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a famous. I want to say James Coburn's in it. I don't know the name though. Yeah. God damn it. Um, Recently, I 
No, Nightfire, it's really good. The book is really good. The uh-huh. story it's from, it, it had been done once before as a film and not very well. Uh. But it's it's really good. Okay, cool. Uh, very creepy. Um, Letterman has a series coming to Netflix. Cool. Everything's coming to Netflix. Everything's coming to his Netflix. Fir- they announced his first guest, Barack, Barack Obama. Wow. Wow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, Obama was on uh, um, Comedians in Cars Getting Coffee as well. Wow. At one point. Huh. Where they, with him and... Seinfeld sat in the uh, cafeteria at the White House, <laughs> and it was hilarious. Um, they cast Kiernan Shipka. She was she's a, in Mad Men, in as Sabrina, in this Netflix Sabrina the Teenage Witch, which is kind of an offshoot of uh, Riverdale. Uh, Riverdale. By the way, uh, the family has started watching Riverdale, mm-hmm. and uh, so I I watched a little bit of it, and, and we kept bouncing this term back and forth and I think it's appropriate it's Twin Peaks meets 90210 okay and that's that's pretty solid yeah yeah, yeah. Like they describe this as a little more like they, they always Rosemary's Baby gets referenced a lot I don't really, really see that but they're, they're saying X-Files that kind of sure. thing sure yeah 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 uh, Sons of Anarchy, they announced, um, it's called, the spinoff, it's called Mayans MC, and it just got a 10 episode order. Okay. Um, <laughs> I'd worry about that, and the reason I'd worry about that is because even though the critics love <laughs> Better Call Saul. Daughters of Democracy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, well, the critics love Better Call Saul. It's not got huge audiences. Right. Based on the spinoff from Breaking Bad, and this feels like it's going to be more of the same, uh-huh. but you never know. Yeah. Ryan Reynolds, um, some dude made a viral video where he got his teeth pulled and he was all loopy from nitrous. Uh-huh. And um, I guess he mentioned Deadpool or some shit. And uh, Ryan Reynolds saw it and invited the guy to the Deadpool premiere. Huh. Groovy. Cool. And then the last one, uh, I don't know who asked for this, but Tales from the Hood is getting a sequel. Yeah, I saw that. Don't understand. Uh, I don't know. Uh, Other than the idea of, there's always been that s- subgenre like horror film, and then there's the black horror film, right. like all of Tales from the Hood, or Snoop Dogg did one, or Flavor Flav did an anthology film at one what point. What was the What was the Eddie Murphy vampire movie? Oh, Vampire from Brooklyn. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. So there's that. Uh, moving on to trailers, there's a ton of these, and uh, so we're gonna kind of go quick. Uh, Before I Wake, Netflix, coming to Netflix, a family's kid dies, they get a new kid, and this kid, all of his dreams come true. Right. <laughs> looked looked good. Looked well made. Yeah, it looks well made. Um, it's it's kind of a cool idea, uh, because the, the boogeyman is something that's being man- manifested by your kid. Yeah. You know, so you, you, you don't want to hurt the kid. You right, know, but his. Well, they were saying like you know, oh yeah, when he dreams and and he creates these beautiful things, but when he has nightmares, it's a different, whole different sure. story. Sure, absolutely. Uh, Thomas Jane's <clears throat> in it. I forget the girl's name. Um, it looked well made. Yeah, look worth checking out, especially since it's on Netflix. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Next up, a movie called Braven with uh, Jason Momoa. Yeah, I. This is it, to me. This is the most derivative looking shit that like I just don't. Right. Well, first of all, the name. It, that's the character's name. Last name. Yeah. His it's name. about r- robbers stash a bunch of drugs in his barn, and he discovers them, and they come looking for him. They're sending in the 
you know, they're they're gonna go get their drugs. The guys on the yeah, and, yeah, yeah, and they don't realize that the guy who's there is gonna kick all their ass. Yeah, he's it's a very Bondamian kind of thing. But here's the thing that the really the main reason why I threw it on this list. Um, it's a Shaw Brothers film. I saw a crumpet in there. Yeah, there's a crumpet, but also the, it begins and there's the SB logo. Uh-huh. And I'm like, no shit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but I agree, yeah, but re- it, it yeah. becomes very derivative. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Next up, a time travel thing with a Linda Hamilton called Curvature. Yeah, you know, it's, when I was watching it, you know, they kept talking about, you know, your husband, Mr. Wells, you know. And I'm like, oh, oh, I didn't catch machine. that. The, <laughs> oh, I totally didn't catch that. And uh, uh, it's a, a time travel movie for the modern age. It looks like I'm hopeful. Yeah. I like time tra- time travel movies only because they're rarely handled well. It also, I mean, just from the title, you know, it references what physicists, you know, recognizes the only way that time travel could be possible is that time you know, is basically is on this curve mm-hmm. and you could bridge the, the, the curves, you know, yeah. um, a la Einstein theory, blah, 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 blah. Mm-hmm. It, I, it, you know, sure, why not? I hate time travel movies. Unless They're hard to do. Unless it's like super basic. It's like, I think we're going back in time and we're <laughs> killing a dinosaur. <laughs> you know? Well, I think like uh, Triangle works. I think Time Crimes works. I think. Did you like Looper? I like the aspects of it. I suppose okay. my favorite time travel movie, I'm using air quotes, um, of that ilk would mm-hmm. be 12 Monkeys. Sure. Yeah, I'd agree with that. Um, this next thing concerns me, and it's Eli Roth's uh, remake of Death Wish <laughs> with Bruce Willis. Well, the fact that it concerns you... Uh, concerns me because I, I I have zero feelings about this movie other than um, it's Eli Roth so of course so of course yeah, yeah. but here's what, what alarms me when the first Death Wish came out it wasn't long until a guy named Bernie Getz was on a subway exactly sure and this kind of fetishizes the whole I carry a gun and I the walk through the streets yeah. and and so, in this political environment... We can't depend on the cops to do what they're supposed yeah. to do. Yeah, so. yeah, yeah. Yeah. I, I just, Sometimes this stuff is handled well. I think the brave one with J- Jodie Foster handled it okay. Sure. Um, but I, I, I don't Bruce see... Bruce Willis doesn't even look like he cares. You know what I mean? He's so sleepwalking through yeah, this. Yeah, yeah. And he's like, he's a doctor. It's like, really? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I, I don't know how I feel about it. You're right, it's Eli Roth, so I kind of immediately don't care. It's like, uh But... You know, it, it's the type of filmmaking where it, like, somebody... It's... I call it the, um, the... Uh, this is cool filmmaking, <laughs> you know, and and, and it's like... And we are... Uh, I already liked the the other Death, Death Wish remake when it was the Kevin Bacon, James Wan, Death Warrant, whatever it was. Yeah, 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 yeah. Kind yeah. of a Death yeah. Wish movie. Yeah. Yeah, anyway... Uh, next up, Netflix, quirky wannabe killer falls in love called The End of the Fucking World. Okay, that looks cool. I'm on board for this. I think for an audience of a certain age, this is going to be their Heathers. Yeah, yeah. You know, that kind of thing. Yeah. Well, what's cool is that, you know, the, the you know this kid has basically decided he's probably a, ser- a serial killer. Mm-hmm. And he he likes this girl and he, he concocts this plan that he's going to kill her. Mm-hmm. 
she goes on this adventure with him, and it looks like she turns out to be more fucked up than he is. Yeah, 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 yeah. And despite themselves, fall in love, and uh, I, it looks really cool to me. It could be that by the end, yeah, by the end of it, he realizes, yeah, yeah. I'm just a quirky kid. And, uh, yeah. Speaking of quirky kids. It's like Harold not really killing himself in Harold and Maude. It kind of reminded me of Harold and Maude. Yeah. Like, what if Harold and Maude, if Harold had found some young, quirky girl right, after Maude? Right, exactly. Um, next up, Freak Show. Uh, Again. Looks great. These are the, these two are the two that I was most excited about in this list. Mm-hmm. I hear it's great, too. Um, I'm going to say a gay slash trans boy yeah. try, moves to another area. And tries to fit in, and it's doesn't. It's like he's, it's like the the spirit of the individual. Yeah, it's like look, I I've been in my cocoon long enough. I'm a fucking butterfly. Deal with it. Yeah, and uh, it looks great. And I want to say, and I probably should have rewatched the trailer to get this right, but I want to say that James St. James has something to do with this. That I don't know. Uh, I he, he's the, the he was um, uh, buddies with. Uh, the the club kid okay guy, the, the, uh, Alec uh, Michael Alec that okay killed yeah, the, yeah, yeah, yeah 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 it looks good very looks kind of eighties because it's he's very adamant boy George sure. looking yeah yeah um but it looks like a positive yeah it message. looks great I, I yeah I'm excited for it next up um game over man what I call workaholics do die hard the show workaholics yeah. Uh, looks silly. It looks silly. Looks it looks fun. fun. Yeah. Look, I think if you're a fan of things like Super Troopers and that kind of yeah, stuff. Yeah, that type of yeah, exact. It's that type of comedy. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah, yeah. I I I did like when the the guys like who are you guys SWAT? <laughs> They're like <laughs> yeah. It's very funny and it it looks like it's just continually the scene with them shooting. Is pretty. That's pretty fucking funny. Yeah. Well, the idea is you put guns in people's hands who don't usually have them, and and your friend's always going to be a dick, yeah. right? Yeah, it looks fun. What's the one kid's name? Adam Duval? Is that his I name? I don't know. I, I, anyway. I've never seen Workaholics. My daughter loves it. Yeah. So that's such an old guy thing to say. <laughs> Next up, Kill Order, Asian sci-fi. Fighting looked good. I have no idea what's going on here, but uh, the fighting looked good. Oh, uh, okay. I I didn't like. You're not like of, you're not like other boys. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. You know. Um, I didn't like the wire work on the on the people mm-hmm. getting kicked and punched. Mm-hmm. You know, like you know, you, you the guy throws a sidekick and the guy's like flying through the air. Through the air. Not in a realistic. Like I've seen that before, and it mm-hmm. looks cool, and I could see the wire work in this, and that kind of bugged me. Yeah. And you know, just. And, and we're going to come to this again in this list. I'm mm-hmm. really sick of the, he's the perfect weapon. Yeah, yeah, yeah That's yeah. like, uh, we. I'm tired of that trope, you know. Agreed. We had, how many Jason Bourne Well, I think it's interesting and, that, by the way, I, I, I also hear that Jackie Chan's movie, Bleeding Steel, is just terrible. Really? Yeah, it's just terrible. Well, I hear The Foreigner's good, though. Yeah, so. I, I do hear that as yeah. well. Um, next up, Nostalgia. Ellen Burstyn, um... um What's his name? Ham. John Ham, uh, Bruce Dern, Catherine Keener, and Nick Offerman. It's called Nostalgia. It's about moving on with life and the things... And, that, and the examination of what was really important yeah. and what wasn't. And uh, I mean, eh. It looks very Oscar-baity. Yeah. You know, yeah. so 
I've been looking for that to come to the Pickford. Yeah, yeah. It's, a, it's definitely an art house yeah, kind yeah. of a thing. Next up, this is the film I t- was talking about. A Filipino film about a family selling, trying to sell a portrait. It's called The Portrait. Yeah. Um, so, go ahead. I, so I haven't, I haven't watched Filipino movies since I lived there, mm-hmm. which was in the early 90s. Mm-hmm. And when I look at this, I can't help, and, and, and I hope this doesn't sound condescending, but this, this looks to me like the Filipino industry film industry has grown up mm-hmm. and uh it 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 looks great it does look great it looks great um the acting looks solid um it's a pseudo musical there's there's musical elements in it but it, they didn't focus a lot on that i it? think what it is it's kind of it reminded me of like bollywood where it's dialogue but it's sung and, and at some point yeah somebody felt very the song. odd but uh, cool it, but it looks really good, mm-hmm. and and it looks like it's handling it's handling a lot of the same things that Filipino drama has always handled, um, a family and expectations mm-hmm. for people and that type of thing. And uh, but this is the first time where I'm interested in that. Yeah, you know? it looks it's not like a Western film. movie where we, we've got you know explosions and fight scenes. And <laughs> yeah, no, it looks like he- heavy drama. Also. Yeah, Fa- familial drama. Mm-hmm. Uh, next up, Slender Man. They're they're trying to narrativize the Slender Man. Right. I didn't wasn't feeling this at no, all. I, I me neither. I just felt like you're going to turn him into a slasher, like well, a just, Freddy Krueger-esque slasher. You, know, you, you keep showing me these montage of of disturbing you mm-hmm. know images. It's like. I've seen the maggots close up. I've seen the guy with his head shaking around. I've yeah, seen yeah. the things coming out of your mouth. None of this looks even remotely original. It looks like somebody who like uh, looked at you know scary movies from the last twenty years, and it's like let's take that moment mm-hmm. and that moment. And that There's moment. just no no one's thinking. I don't know what's going on. Yeah, yeah. Know. No one's thinking, in my opinion. Uh, next, Strangers Two: Pray at Night. This again, by, I, we've it, seen this movie so many times now. I like the premise, the idea that this group randomly picks people and they have to defend themselves. Right. Um, this just feels like no one wanted this, no one called for it, but here it is anyway. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Uh, I, you know, I've seen Straw Dogs. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. and that was way better than this. Yeah. Uh, next up, Truth or Dare, Guy Lures Friends into Spooky God Deadly Game. Damn it. Yes. I, can we get rid of the trope of where a child, uh, or, 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 or a game, yeah. is the, the basis for the horror? It, like, how many times has this been done? Bloody Mary. Sure. Ouija. Yeah, it's just like, I, yeah. I'm sick of it. Yeah. That said, <laughs> I think that... I kind of like that they were taking a bit of a novel, t- trying at least to spin it a little tiny bit. The idea that you don't get to choose truth or dare. The thing chooses for you. Uh-huh. Um, uh, of all, lately, of all the horror film trailers I've seen, this one made me go, I'd probably watch that. Uh-huh. Where most of them, I don't feel that way. A couple more. Who Killed Olivia Lake? Sharon Stone murder mystery. 
this looked like an episode of Law and Order. It it totally does, yeah. You know, I just didn't don't get it. Some woman, a lot of people hated her. Blah blah blah. Yeah, it's it's that it's that whole thing. Uh, it's the whole Laura Palmer thing. It's like the the absence yeah. of this person is the catalyst for all these different things. You know. Right, 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 right. And uh, yeah. it just you know Sharon Stone isn't she's this isn't Basic Instinct. You know, and she's walking around going, you know, making all these sex, sexual innuendos and stuff. And it's like, you're, you're, I don't know don't about... Don't be hating on old people, dude. <laughs> <laughs> I know, but I just don't want one being presented as an ingenue. Sure. So, and then finally, uh, Winchester, this Helen Mirren, Winchester Mystery House thing. Right, which we've seen a trailer for Once before. before. This had more plot. That's yeah, why I I, I, I'm on board for this. I I like the idea. I, I because it's a uh, uh, you know I mean it. We all know about her and the and the crazy house and and what why she did it. This basically takes the idea. It looks to me like takes the idea that everything that she feared is true. Mm-hmm. That the that the ghosts they of, really are there. Yeah, and yeah. That, that. It's, it's cool. I like when people do that. They they take a historical event and they add a supernatural twist mm-hmm. to it. Yeah. Yeah, I've been to the house and the house is cool. Mm-hmm. It's like that's weird. Um, you know, they well, the nice thing is is that the Winchester Mystery House in uh, San Jose, they they give night tours. It's like flashlight tours. Sure. And those are way yeah, better. That'd be, yeah, those yeah, are yeah, way yeah. better. Um, it's like when I went to the Queen Mary, and they take you they down do the into ghost the tours. And, yeah. yeah, and it's like it's genuinely creepy because well, I have an aversion to like big giant things anyway. So you're in the, you're in like the hull of the ship, and I'm just like, fuck. This. Well, I think it's all of that. It's it's like when you go on those ghost tours in New Orleans. Yeah. By the time you get ten feet down the sidewalk, yeah, you're so amped up and like I'm ready for anything. Yeah. So there's that. Um. Did you watch anything this week that you went to? I finally about? watched uh, Blade Runner 2049. Oh, yes. Yeah. Uh, I love it. Yeah, I did I too. love it. I, 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 I don't You had me worried there for a minute. Well, I don't remember discouraging words, really, but I feel like, I also feel like people were kind of like, eh, whatever. And I didn't the know. argument was that it was slow. And I used the it's word Blade immersive. Blade Runner. Yeah. It's like, Blade Runner was not, I, you know, I think some people don't, I think some people who say they're Blade Runner fans never saw it. Yeah, probably. <laughs> or if they did, they may have seen it a long time ago. We but were heavily influenced by the Velvet Underground. But you never listened to them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I think, no, I thought it was beautiful. It's I beautiful. thought it was great. I love the story idea. Mm-hmm. Was, I didn't see that coming, and it was great. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, and, and by the way, Dave Bautista? Great. Short scene, but fucking awesome. Supposedly, this movie on Netflix, Bushwick, is really good. Yeah, and it's it's actiony. But what do you what do you want from that guy? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. Anything else? Uh, no. Like, right. On. That's that's all I've read. Watched. I'm sorry. Watched. Watched. Yeah, 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 yeah. All right. Uh, let's see. Mostly comedy this week. Mm-hmm. I've, I've I'm not doing the 365 this year. So. Yay! Yeah. It's it's been great to not have to go. Shit, I gotta watch this movie. That was two years of it, dude. Two years, yeah. yeah. Um, so that's it. These are all on. Uh, two of these are on Netflix. Um, Todd Berry's Spicy Honey. Uh-huh. Uh I'm a Todd Berry fan, but skip this. This is 
by now. Re- watch the uh, crowd work tour that's also on Netflix, but this is not particularly good. Dave Chappelle has two specials out called one's called Equanimity and the other one's called The Bird Revelation. Uh-huh. And they're great. They're really good. Okay. Um not only are they wise, but they're genuinely funny. And then finally the the, the real biggie this week, um the the documentary on Gilbert Gottfried came to Hulu. Uh huh. And God, it's really good. Yeah. Like weepy good. Like you can't believe that you're sniveling over Gilbert, right? You know the relationship with his wife when you see, you know his kids and his his sister was such a gifted photographer and mm-hmm. it's it's so good that um it was my real highlight one of the real highlights. Of sure, week. sure. Uh, what are you reading? Um, currently I'm still reading um, the Massacre on Mankind, which okay. is the the modern sequel. Not modern, but recently written sequel to War of the Worlds. Right, you um, finished that week. And uh, I'm also in preparation for next week's show. I'm rereading Spellbound by Beauty, which is a book about Hitchcock's right obsession with certain actresses. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, spoiler: We're we're doing Hitchcock next week. Yeah, we are. With uh with a, a friend and a listener. Yeah. And absolutely. um have. Sturbiak? Sturbiak, yeah. And uh, it's going it's gonna to be great. Yeah. It's very cool because she's a friend, but also, like, she's she came to came to this as a listener that was saying, like, yeah. you should do a Hitchcock show. I'm all, you should be on it. You should be on it. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, right on. Um, I just started something called This Might Get Heavy, a memoir by Ralphie May. Um, Ralphie just recently died. He's a comic, and he has some great stories mm. about... You know, trying to ex- even just trying to exist in in a world in your six hundred pounds is right. You know. Yeah. So there's that. Um, anything to talk about listening wise? Yeah. So it's very rare that I find a modern band mm-hmm. that uh, that I like. Um, I've been checking out this band called Greta Van Fleet. Yeah. And. Uh, Fucking cool! Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. I just I'm saw really that stuff it. come up on their new releases on yeah. the streaming services. Uh, what really sold me, what what got me to listen to them, was they did a cover of a, a song called "Meet Me on the Ledge" by Fairport Convention. Oh wow! And I was like, "What?" Yeah. And, and I listened. And it was like, "This is really fucking cool." Yeah, yeah, yeah. They kind of like um, Wolf Mother get. Uh, Pegged as a Zeppelin, okay, imitator, okay, um, and I don't think it's that so much as as that you know like everybody, this is what you listen to growing up, um, and so you're gonna you're gonna start out sounding like that band. So if you like Zeppelin and mm-hmm. you like you know I don't know, if you like Wolf Mother, check these guys out because they're fucking cool and they're badass. Yeah. They're really 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 good musicians. And the scary thing is they're, like, the youngest one, I think, is 18, Oof. and the oldest one is 21. Jesus. And these guys like are, like, the super talented. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Wow. Um, huh. There was something I was going to say about that, and now I just lost it. No, it's okay. All right. I did that a lot last week. By the way, the actor I was trying to think of last week was William H. Macy, and, <laughs> I, and I was referring to Henry Gibson, not Harry Gibson, <laughs> as I said on the show. Um, so, for, for those of you paying attention. Let's see. We're going to go through these really, really fast. Steve Moore, soundtrack to Mayhem. 
surprisingly good, the J- Joe Lynch movie. Uh-huh. Surprisingly good. Listen to Nelson Riddle's score for El Dorado, and it was it was <laughs> it was really dated, but it was kind of cool. Cool. Um, and Annie Ross from Lambert Hendricks and Ross. They were a vocalese band. Mm-hmm. Um, John Hendricks I talked about recently. He just right. died. She did a version of music from Gypsy. Uh-huh. And it's great. It's very, you know, sure. kind of versions of it. It's very cool. Maurice Jarre's score for Night of the Generals was okay. Okay. Greenslade. They re-released a bunch of David Greenslade's records. I was listening to Bedside Manners or Extra. Right. They're very kind of early Genesis kind of sound. If you're not into prog rock, yeah, skip don't, Green, yeah, green Don't listen. Uh, I found that they re-released Masaharu Sato's score to Yojimbo, and that was great. Yeah, I almost included it in our in our on the show. Yeah. Um, Henry Jackman's score to Jumanji, the new Jumanji. Uh huh. It's horrible. It's just a lot of drums and so- thirty-second song cues and stuff. I've got a collection of like a hundred drum, like clips, mm. and then. I I hear so many people taking those same clips yeah. and then stringing them together. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then it's like, I mean, I get it. It's Jumanji, but I would have liked a little something more. Right. Uh, Marco Beltrani did the score to The Snowman. The Snowman is terrible, and the score is terrible as well. I'm almost done. John Williams' last Jedi scores is awful. It's uh-huh. so derivative, and I, I didn't care for any of it. Um, there's a movie out called La Belle et la Mute, something, it's French. Uh-huh. Score is by Amin Bouhafa. It's um, a Persian film, I want to say. Uh-huh. Um, but the score is really good. The, hmm. uh, the Woman and the Dog, I think it's called. It's about a girl who goes... Uh, out for a night with her friends and it goes really badly uh-huh. for um but the music is really really good and then finally um there's a guy named ba- uh peter stone bat is he's also known by bat he's also the band exorcist uh-huh. now bat was a guy i first met he he and a, uh, uh, a couple of other people created house of usher in San Francisco. It's like right. the preeminent goth, goth club, club. Yeah. West Coast goth club for most of the 80s, like 90s and into the 2000s. Right. And Exorcist has done a lot of video game scores. So he has a new record out called God that he he was very kind and sent both of us yeah. to listen to it. We both listened to it. Yeah. And I really liked it. I dig it too. It's it, like I was telling you, it's, it's totally in the headspace that I've been in for the last I don't know, mm-hmm. three, four years of this this retro synth wave kind of stuff um, the the cool addition is the vocals mm-hmm. uh, and, and, I, and I dig it, yeah yeah, yeah. there's also like subtleties there where there's little sub, I want to call them sub melodies going on, like sure. you've got your main melody but there's this like counterpoint going on yeah. and there's a depth of orchestration that you, you, you don't usually hear in industrial music right? because most industrial music is really loud and, and there's there's just a lot of subtlety here and I understand that you'll be, this. the record is available through things like Sam, 
Bandcamp, or I'm sure he's going to be releasing it through all the normal places. But uh-huh. uh, by the way, Exorcist is spelled X O R C I S T. Right. Um, there's a he has a had a song that was fairly popular called Iron Helix. Mm-hmm. Um, that that's really good stuff. But we're gonna have uh, him on. We're gonna bring him on to talk about um, industrial music and music and how it affects, I think, video games because he's done so many video games for sure. us. Because this isn't like I need music for the fish to swim by. Because every time someone plays through that scene, it's going to be different, right? Right. And they're not going to respond to the same thing. So right. I think it'll be really interesting. That'll be a good uh, conversation. But now that we're in the new year, we've got lots. We've, we're booked solid till May. We we are. And uh, this is going to be there's a lot of shit happening this year. A lot man. of stuff going yeah. on. and uh, Good shit. Good shit. Yeah. Uh, I know I'm doing, in May, I'm doing Crypticon. I know you're doing Crypticon. Right. I know Lorelai's doing Crypticon. Jason yep. will probably be there a lot. TJ is going to be there. I know. Yep. I think we're going to split a room. TJ and I. So we'll, so we'll have we'll have Crypticon going on in May. I'm directing something in the spring. I don't know exactly Good job. which. which yeah, I just turned in uh, No Flesh Shall Be Spared two to uh, beta readers. And then it's a busy time in my you know world at all. Comes back to bleeding. To bleeding yeah. yeah. So lots going on, and uh, so hopefully you guys had a good holiday and a good New Year. So. 2018, we got a lot of stuff coming. Yep. So that is episode 157. I say bare your chest, put your shoulders up, your chin yeah. down, grit your teeth, and bring it. <laughs> yeah. And t-shirts. We're talking t-shirts that we'll be able to we'll be having around. Some, uh, some uh, 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 bonus material merch. Yeah, so you can wear your... <laughs> I don't know what that even is. We're going with that. All right. So, uh, we'll see you next week. For the Bus Pure Podcast, I'm Tom Carno. And I'm Langley West. Stay scary. <laughs>